We are on air for Fan for Racing Radio. This is Monday night, October the 30th, the night before Halloween. And uh, we are going to be talking about our Martinsville 2 NASCAR race review and Hot Topic Sound Off. And watch out, Jay. I've got some Halloween sounds. <laughs> I heard that already. Yeah, that was uh, – I heard that on the intro. I was like, well, that was new. <laughs> Well, I thought we'd have a little fun tonight with the show, and uh, we are going to start with some short track news. We'll also uh, do a real quick review with the ARCA West and the ARCA Truck Series with an update. Uh, They did not race this past weekend. And then we're going to comment on the post-race media interview with NASCAR Xfinity Series winner Justin Aldauer. He's the driver of the number seven junior motorsports Chevrolet. And um, we won't be able to hear all of his interview, but we'll play at least five minutes of it, and and then we'll comment on it afterwards. Then in our second half hour, we are going to review the NASCAR Xfinity and the Cup Series elimination races at Martinsville Speedway. And as we always do, we're going to end the episode with our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with the Fan for Racing crew. So uh, I believe Mike and Tommy will be joining us for tonight. Well, we certainly got some uh, some things to look forward to with Hot Topics, and I look forward to uh, Mike and Tommy jumping in here tonight. Uh, there's a lot of activity in Martinsville. We know always produces that. The uh, What's the word here? The pressure of the playoffs as that comes to a head. We finalized the championship final four, um, which obviously is going to bring about some controversy or – what what have you so definitely going to be a great show all throughout as we review the races as to what happened and how we got to where we're going to go and then how people have reacted yes indeed well let's get started with our short track news That was a little longer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was, every time I was going to say something, I'm like, oh, it's not done yet. Oh, it's not done yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, short track news. Daryl Waltrip is going to be named the All-American 400 Grand Marshal. That race is taking place this weekend and will represent the, uh, I, I believe this is uh, the finale for the ASA um, Stars National Tour Series. It is, and it's always great to see uh, Daryl Waltrip out and about. He is one that I know still has that passion for racing. I know Sterling Marlin for a long time was involved there in Nashville at the Super Speedway as well as the fairgrounds, um, I think as part of an ownership group. This is one of those we talk about. Just continue to give back to the sport and be a part of it. Uh, when it comes to that at that next level as well. Yes, indeed. So I know fans will uh, definitely look forward to seeing him at the track. And uh, there is an entry list for, um, hold on. Actually, this is an entry list for the All-American 100 at Nashville, um, where the All-American 400 is going to be raced as well. 
so there's going to be quite a few people in that All-American 100 as well. And let me see if I can pull up this entry list. Uh, it doesn't really give us an entry list. I guess the whole article is about who is entered, so you'll want to check that out. Uh, and, folks, you can watch the All-American 400 over at Racing America. If you are a subscriber, you will be able to watch all of the activities this weekend. Ty Majeski and Cole Butcher are separated by just eight points, Jay. That's one. I know one of the other articles here on Racing America talks about that championship coming down to the wire. And we talked about it, Ty Majeski going after the series championship in both NASCAR top level of the truck series and then here in the late models. Uh, came up a little short in the trucks. We'll see how he does here in this final event here. You mentioned it, eight points separate him going into a final race. you got to love that. I mean, if you're a race fan, you've got to love that going into a final race. Absolutely. So November 5th is when this race takes place, but all the activity begins on Friday, November 3rd, with Nashville Fairground Speedway's local divisions competing on the quarter-mile bullring. Limited late models, pure stocks, front runners, street stocks, legends, banjoleros, they'll all compete on Friday at 6.30 Central Time, uh, 7.30 Eastern. On Saturday... The attention is going to turn to the half-mile high-banked oval for the rest of the weekend, along with qualifying for Sunday's All-American 400. Saturday's card features pro late models and their 100-lap race uh, that we were just talking about, uh, featuring Nashville's local competitors in the JEG CRA All-Stars Tour. They'll crown a track champion for the pro late models. And they will be joined by the Border Race Compact Touring Series and the CRA Street Stock Series as part of Saturday's racing. Um, so Sunday, it'll be all about the 39th running of the All-American 400 with pre-race coverage beginning at noon, 1 o'clock Eastern. Racing starts at 1 o'clock Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. Uh, and just remember, this is the weekend that we're adjusting our clocks as well, so make sure you've got your clock set on the correct time for this race uh, because this is a do-not-miss event, Jay. And, and the word you used right there, we're talking about race, but it goes to event because you listed what's going on Friday, what's going on Saturday, and what's going on Sunday. And that's a huge thing when it comes to these short tracks, uh, what they offer uh, I know the Bandoleros and the Legends are two different ones that not everybody gets that opportunity to see, and hopefully you do, because um, very entertaining. It is indeed. And the 2024 ASA rules has been released. You can read all about that over at Short Track Scene. Uh, and Ryan Priest wins, and Ron Silk claims the title in the Modified Tour finale for NASCAR Wheel and Modified. Brendan Queen and Lee Pulliam are running it back in 2024, so you can read about all those stories over at Short Track Scene. A lot of good info there. And here's another thing I take away. Uh, you know, I'm not – I can be. I shouldn't say I'm not ever, but seeing a driver like Ryan Priest, we talk about cup guys or 
ones that have made it to different levels, going back and running these races. Ryan Priest and their team have struggled this year, no doubt. Get into that mode of, can I really do this? Can I win races? Can I race anymore? I know it's a modified race, but to go back and win, the confidence level that gives them, um, and from the fan side, I, you know, the fans truly love it. Promoters, I'll tell you that from the track side, promoters love it uh, when a driver will come back like that. But it does so much good for the driver, and I was happy to see that for Ryan Priest. Yes, me too. Um, there's another thing here over at Flow Racing. Kyle Busch and Ricky Thornton Jr. will be headlining the first Tulsa shootout entry list. So that was put out last Wednesday, and you can uh, watch all about that on the video highlights that are offered over at Flow Racing. And that's when uh, I know we, doing these last couple of shows, we, we get a little stretched thin when it comes to talk about races. But there are some big uh, off-season for the Cup Series events coming up. We, you know, we obviously talk about the Snowball Derby when it comes to asphalt late models. The Chili Bowl will be coming up for the midgets, um, which you know Kyle Busch has become a part of when it comes to Braxton. So that'll be throughout the NASCAR Cup Series off-season. It may not be a lot of racing, but there's still some racing going on throughout the, uh, throughout the country. There is indeed, and and you don't want to miss any of it. So we try to head you in the right direction with uh, Racing America, Flow Racing, and Short Track Scene so you can keep up with everything that's going on. We're going to uh, change gears here now again, uh, and that means it's time for another. uh, Halloween sound here. And uh, I'm going to move on to the uh, Arkham Menard Series West and the Truck Series. They are not racing uh, this weekend. They will be racing this weekend. They didn't race last weekend. Uh, but they will be racing at Phoenix. And so the next race uh, for the Arkham Menard Series West will be at Phoenix Raceway. Let me get the right schedule up here. And that race actually is going to take place on Friday, November the 3rd, uh, at Phoenix Raceway. And uh, we'll be previewing that race uh, on Thursday. So we'll have all the details for you so you won't miss a thing. Uh, It's basically going to be at the One Mile Paved Tri-Oval starting at 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time. But that's 2.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. So again, we'll have all the details for you on Thursday. And for the Truck Series, uh, they will be racing at Phoenix Raceway next weekend as well. We'll finally find out who the Truck Series champion is going to be. And that race will be taking place the Lucas Oil 150 at Phoenix Raceway at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Friday, November 3rd. So it's going to be a doubleheader night on Friday. The green flag should drop around 10:13 p.m. Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports One. So, uh, so two big races and season finales coming up right there with the Arca West and the uh, NASCAR Truck Series. And this is one of those, and I'm happy that the uh, West Series is able to tie into the NASCAR Top Three Championship Weekend, being when they hosted it at Homestead, Miami. 
it was the top three. And I'm trying to think back um, how long that's been, Sharon, you might be able to help out here, that they've done all three in the same weekend at the same track. Uh, again, it becomes an event. I know Ford sponsored it when it was at Homestead, Miami. But just doing the championship weekend, they're out in Phoenix, and I'll have the West Series um, participating as well. I know you and you said you and your brother and John were looking at maybe that being your trip for next year um, to go out there for their yeah. championship weekend. Yeah, we're still undecided yet as to whether it'll be the spring race or the season finale, but uh, we're, we're definitely thinking about Phoenix. So we'll see how that goes. Um, do you want to cover the points for the West Series, though? All right, let me see if I can pull that up. I know there were some other articles here at the Arkham Menard Series homepage. I was kind of perusing. All right, so the West Series. Yeah, they have a lot of great articles up over there. Uh, well, that's well, that's loading for me, Sharon. Uh, you know, you've been making this trip to Las Vegas. We've talked about some of the issues you have. Are you like not allowed in that area? Is that why you're thinking about going to Phoenix now? You got to change states. <laughs> We're going to change our direction. We went through a snowstorm in Colorado. Last year, we got stopped by the Utah police uh, and derailed for about two hours while they changed our tire after running over the nail strip uh, looking for someone who stole a car that looked pretty much like the car we were driving. No, I said we haven't gotten the uh, the snowstorm from one from this year, and I'm going to have to pull this up on my phone for some reason. That one on on the home page. Okay, well let me chart. cover that, and and I'll let you cover the uh, points for the uh, truck series. Okay. 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 Sean Hingarani is at the top of the leaderboard in the uh, Arkham Menard series. Uh, next in line is Trevor Huddleston. And just three points behind him is Tyler Wright. So that's going to be a, a big battle over who's going to end up in second place when that race is all said and done. Then Todd Souza and Bradley Erickson are both tied at 49 points in fourth and fifth. So they're going to be battling for that fourth place spot. And then um, in sixth place is Tanner Wright at 53 points. That's just four points behind Erickson. And in 61 points is Eric Nascimento. Uh, Keller comes in at uh, 61 points. And then Takuma Koga, I believe, has 96 points along with David Smith. So they're both tied. And all 10 of these drivers have raced, all 11 of the Arco West races. So it's kind of cool to see that. Uh, and I don't think they're going to be racing so much for the championship because I think Sean Hingarani more or less has to show up. Uh, the, the race is going to be for those other positions behind him. Well, I'd say it's scary because you could read my mind, but uh, you've been doing that all year as we've worked together for several years now, but you <laughs> highlighted something there in this series. I know we talk about some of these other series um, I think in a couple or a couple of years, the Arkham Menards in the East series had four, maybe five drivers, if that, show up and and make all the races. So you knew you knew the championship contenders based on that, just because of the number of races they they made. Um, but to see the West series have ten drivers make make all ten races, I find that very encouraging. And I we've seen some great 
down to the wire points battles. This one, not so much uh, based on some other situations that uh, happen, but that's why that series comes down to those points battles because you have that many drivers that have made all the races. Exactly right. Uh, we'll go to the uh, truck series standings now, Jay. Now, obviously, in NASCAR's top three, it's a little bit different because we have the playoff system. So we have four drivers, uh, and that would be Corey Heim, Carson, Carson Hosevar, Ben Rhodes, and Grant Infinger that are all the four that are eligible for the championship four. Top finishing driver out of those four. If you're looking at a point standing sheet that shows all four of them tied at 4,000, points don't matter no more. It's just where they finish. However, fifth on back, Christian Eckes at 22.68, Nick Sanchez 22.25, and Zane Smith 21.65, Ty Majeski 21.44, Matt Crafton 21.41, Matt DiBenedetto at 21.02, which I believe is going to stay in the 10th spot there. Those can all change in these fi- this final race based on their points because once you're eliminated, you go back into a normal points pool of all the playoff drivers, you can finish as high as fifth or as low as tenth. Now, again, Matt mm-hmm. DiBenedetto uh, not being in these final three races, I think it's been um, going to be your tenth place. But ninth place, Matt Crafton, and looking at it, could move up as far as seventh. I think Sanchez could still move from – Six back up to fifth. It'd be kind of a battle between him and Christian Eckes. So a lot of other things, points-wise, positions anyway, going to be settled there at Phoenix, as well as our championship four. Exactly. And uh, the whole thing is is uh, going to be an exciting weekend this weekend uh, because all three series will be racing at Phoenix Raceway for the championship. But as you said, all three series will also be having a lot of drivers trying to get the very best possible finishing position that they can get for the year. So it's going to be an intense race. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move on now to – our interview with our Xfinity Series winner, uh, the media interview with Justin Algauer, uh, driver of the number seven junior motorsports Chevrolet, won this weekend uh, in a surprising way. Um, and uh, we're going to listen to his interview right after this. I am not Okay, (laughs) so Jay and I will comment after about five minutes of Justin's interview here. All right, we're going to go ahead and start with our Xfinity Series race here with our winner, Justin Algar, driver of the number seven Chevrolet for JRM. Um, Justin, I don't really know where to start, but start with the final few laps there. Um, You've been in this situation several times. You've been on the so would you consider maybe the good side of knowing you were going to advance to Phoenix on the side of leaving here, not advancing to Phoenix? Obviously, those last couple laps were a little bit wild and crazy, but take us through from your vantage point of, of kind of staying in the game and then finally being able to cross that finish line in the lead. Listen, I I, uh, I hated this format when the red flag came out because uh, I was pretty sure we were out. There was no way. I didn't see a clear path to, uh, to making it in. And... 
you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, this team, everybody at Junior Motorsports, Jim Pullman, um, Eddie DeHaan, everybody that is a part of this, this helmet uh, Camaro team, I can't even begin to describe tonight. Um, you know, the effort on the radio, the, those guys trying to keep me in the game. You know, me being frustrated, I, I think as good of a season as we've had and, and to be in the position that we've been in. I mean, Jim called a Hail Mary on a, on a pit strategy, and he said, look, bro, I know this isn't what you want to do, but he said, this is what we had to do. When we started falling back, I'm like, man, you know, I don't know what to expect. But um, that last restart, I mean, that guy thought I crashed myself on the front straightaway coming to the white. I didn't even realize John Hernan was outside of me the way that he was. And I about put myself in the wall. That's a good sound, by the way, right there, that clock dinging. Um, not sure that I'll agree with that at 3 o'clock in the morning. But, uh, you know, just what an unbelievable night. And then, listen, Sheldon, Austin, John Horner, Sammy Smith. I mean, Sammy Smith did an amazing job today and did all the right things. You know, it just – the way the race played out at the end there, it, it was it was wild. Um, I locked my elbows off a of turn four, and I thought, well, we're either going to win this thing or I'm probably going to end up upside down. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was hoping that maybe – I knew Sheldon was going to stay in the gas. At, at the point of how he entered turn three, I knew he was going to be in the gas. So my only shot at that point was to maybe get turned across in front of him. And, and uh, But what, a, what an incredible – what an incredible evening. And uh, my little girl – I got my phone out right now. My little girl is playing for a championship in softball. She got, her, she got a home run tonight, and uh, they're leading 19-1. to 1. Um, I, I feel like that's pretty good. They got finished. They got two outs in, in the bottom of the inning. But um, what a day for the Allgaier Clan! It's 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 truly been special. And, and this is a team. This is a team win because trust me, Justin Allgaier was not um, was not the guy that won the race tonight. The, the guys behind me were the ones who won it. So really proud of the team effort that we put in. All right, we're going to go to questions. If you have a question, raise your hand. We'll start here in the back and the Under Armour hat. And it's Justin, when you crossed the line, did you think you had it right away, or did it kind of take a minute for you to realize that you had won the race? <laughs> I, I thought I had it. And then, um, obviously, there's carnage on the front straightaway. And, and I'm, I'm glad I came around. Um, I probably, I, I don't know. At that point, I didn't know what to expect, so I, I kind of weaved my way through there. But, you know, the first question was, is everybody all right? Right? Um, you know, that was a heck of a hit for some, some folks on the front straightaway. And then they go to stop, and they're like, hey, we don't know who won. So then, you you know, like, that's twice now this year. I've second-guessed whether we came across the line as the winner or not. And so they said, don't move. Um, not an ideal situation, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but, but when they finally gave me the all-clear and, and, and Dave Burns gave me the thumb and said we had actually won, what an incredible, what an incredible if, uh, just emotion that went through. Um, you know, you never know. In, in the in, in the way that these races play out, and I mean, shoot, we still got to go through tech, right? Anything can and will happen. We're good. Hey, we won a race. All right. Um, you know, listen, this is 23, I think, 22. Came with 23. I've never, I've never left a win, and I sit back and I just, it's surreal. Um, it's surreal to be in the situation that we're in. It's surreal to have the, the team behind me that I do. Um, it's, it's it's truly incredible, and I, I'm I'm blessed to even be here doing this, and proving that we still got a little bit of fight in it, and we got a lot of momentum on our side. Excuse me. We had a great qualifying effort yesterday. We had a great practice, and we executed tonight. And even when all the chips were were on the table, and you thought that thought that it wasn't your day, uh, that 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 last card was the the, the 
card we needed, and, and you know, it's just, it's really special. All right, Jay, your thoughts. <laughs> uh, Justin, I'll go a little bit in disbelief, but very happy about what happened. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, if you watch that race, you understand why. Uh, they obviously did not have the best car. As he said, the pitch strategy, they kind of went with what they had to do to even be in a position to have a shot. They were in that situation. Uh, I'm trying to think of where the when the red flag came out, um, what they had left as far as to go. Because all of the activity a- happened in the final 10 laps, multiple cautions in a, a red flag period. But that is not something you necessarily typically see at Martinsville when you talk about the two in front of you or cars in front of you separating and you able to drive by or get up alongside of one of them to make a run at it. And the, the funny thing is, and I think it was the white flag or going into the first set of corners there, Justin Algard had gone up and hit the wall. I really thought uh, dropped far enough back and maybe that's what helped him. I know he made that comment on, the, on his TV interview because he had hit the wall and kind of dropped back, wasn't actually involved in the rest of it. Um, and I saw him drop back. I really thought he was going to lose some positions and not even finish in the top five, but then was in the position to drive underneath the, the activity and make a run to the, to the start-finish line. And you're talking about Martinsville, a .526, half-mile track to begin with, from the corner to the start-finish line midway through. It's not like it's a long straightaway where he had a chance to make a run at him it was off the corner, got alongside of them. They rubbed and bumped all the way. And, yeah, you can tell. I mean, Algar definitely had uh, looked like, anyway, from the television shot, had that advantage uh, over Sheldon Creed. So I, I was surprised even at how long NASCAR did take. I give them that, that they wanted to make sure. But it definitely appeared that Algar had a good half to quarter nose in front of him. Yeah, that was uh, really amazing. I did not get a chance to watch uh, this race, and I'm so disappointed uh, because I'm going to catch it on YouTube or somewhere later. But uh, I heard about it when I woke up on Sunday morning, and I started reading everything I could read about what was going on. And uh, I was so happy for Justin Aldauer. He was below the cut line going into this race and was in a must-win situation. And as it turns out, uh, Sheldon Creed, of course, was in a must-win situation, and so was Austin Hill, as it turns out. Even though he's the regular season champion, he was he needed that win as well. So uh, this was an ever, <laughs> everybody with their foot to the pedal and uh, giving it everything they possibly could give to go after that victory. And Justin Elgauer, uh is the one who came out on top. And that's why it was so surreal for him, because he was not in a position to win this race at the beginning of that uh, restart. And um, uh, he found himself uh, contending with uh, Sheldon Creed, like you said, door-to-door, bumper-to-bumper, these guys were giving it everything they had uh, all the way to the finish line to the point that nobody was sure who was the exact winner. Uh, but with all the replays and everything, it was Justin Algauer. So kudos to him and his team for a job well done. Well, and if you listen to, uh, I know I was in the vehicle today, some in uh, Sirius XM, you said you were reading all this. 
there's going to be a lot of opinions. We'll talk about it in hot topics. Uh, there was two sets of teammates, actually, that were upset, Sammy Smith and John Hunter Nemechek. Um, yep. At least yep. one half of that duo not happy with the other. But this format, you talked about it of must-win situation. Sheldon Creed was in a must-win situation from the drop of the green flag. With the points that are earned for stage racing and depending on who was leading and winning the race, that changed whether other drivers were in a points battle or in a now must-win, whether they were above the cut line or below the cut line. Uh, Real quick, I know going into that final corner, everybody was saying Austin Hill should have just dropped in line, finished second, he'd have been okay. I'm not sure he would have based where, at the time, Cole Custer was running. Cole Custer got involved in a wreck as well, but you couldn't count on that. I think that Custer was actually in a position where Austin Hill, like you said, became in a must-win situation in those final four or five laps. Thought he was okay on point. One, two laps to go. Custer's moved up through the field. All of a sudden, he's like, hey, you're out. You've got to win. (laughs) Or don't let Sheldon win, or whatever the case may be. Exactly. So all three of those guys were in must-win situations. And it was... um, it was a race to we'll remember for a long time, I think. Uh, we're going to go ahead now and move on to the review of that Xfinity Series race. And uh, before we do that, I want to play another Halloween sound here. <laughs> Okay. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our review of the NASCAR Xfinity Series race, Jay. Uh, This was the Dead on Tools 250. The race winner, as we just uh, have been talking about, is Justin Eldauer at the age of 37, driving the number seven Hellman's Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports with crew chief James Pullman. It was his 23rd victory in 437 Xfinity Series races, his fourth victory and 19th top 10 finish this season, and his first victory in six top 10 finish in seven races at Martinsville Speedway. Sheldon Creek did end up uh, posting a second-place finish. Uh, it was his second top 10 finish in four races at Martinsville and his 14th top 10 finish of the season. Sammy Smith ended up finishing third. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race for his second top 10 finish in three races at Martinsville. Uh, Martinsville. Uh, to go to the race recap, it was a wild <laughs> At the end, it was a wild finish. At the end of Saturday's chaotic Dead on Tools 250, Justin Aldauer rescued his season with a very improbable victory that earned the driver the number seven junior motorsports Chevrolet at birth in the Xfinity Series Championship 4. That wild final stage, Justin Aldauer won the race at Martinsville to lock in his place. Uh, against Richard Childress Racing teammates Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed. Now, they got into uh, one another in the final set of corners, allowing Al Gower to get by for the win for his fourth victory this season. Creed finished runner-up, as we mentioned, 
uh, he was point zero three thirty two one thousandths of a second shy of advancing into the championship four. That's how close it was. Sammy Smith led a race high 147 laps to finish third. Riley Erbst in fourth, and Josh Berry round out the top five. Then it was Daniel Hamrick in sixth, Parker Retzlaff and Anthony Alfredo, Jeff Burton, and Parker Kligerman round out the top ten. Hill uh, ended up dropping to 21st in the finishing order and failed to qualify for the championship. John Hunter Nemechek was involved in the final wreck. He ended up finishing 18th but was already locked into the championship race following the second stage. And Cole Custer also piled into the wreck, but he finished ahead of Austin Hill, and that gave him that fourth and final spot into the championship four. Algauer won the opening stage, his 13th stage victory of the season. Sammy Smith claimed the second stage. There were 13 lead changes among eight drivers, 15 cautions for 101 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 55.294 miles per hour. So, Jay, what are your thoughts about those top 10 finishers? There, There is so much to unpack there. We've talked about the action up front, who got shoved out. But Justin Auger getting the win, again, had a very solid season. Um, maybe not the, what we've come to expect uh, from junior motorsports teams, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Sheldon Creed, again, being in a must-win situation, put himself in position, had the shot at it, took it, um, and we have the result there. But the heartbreak, in this case, of Sammy Smith, Uh, You mentioned it. Led three times for 147 laps. Still had his shot in there. Again, a little frustrated with a teammate of his, John Hunter Nemechek, who was locked in. And this was from uh, Sammy Smith's perspective on on his side of the um, argument, if you will, of John Hunter Nemechek locked in, didn't want to make any enemies. So he wasn't going to go up there and get involved in that battle up front and make any enemies going into the championship for a weekend. So Sammy Smith felt, you know, he maybe should have let him have an opportunity because he wasn't locked in and was in that uh, need to win position and had the dominant car all day. Uh, That's one of those tough pills to swallow to have that kind of car and just be in a little bit of a wrong position when it comes down to that final restarts and and laps um, Mm -hmm. to not be there. But a couple others, Riley Herbst, uh, got that victory. Uh, I know I pointed this out to Mike. Almost got a second win in a row last weekend. Another top five. They're back on point, uh, firing on all cylinders. We saw them start the season this year, carrying into last year, had a streak of top tens going. They're back where they need to be. Josh Berry moving up to the Cup Series as well as, well as Daniel Hamrick finishing fifth and sixth. Then, with all the commotion, these guys don't normally get a lot of attention. Parker Retzlaff, Anthony Alfredo in the number 78. Jeb Burton, another one that um, was a championship 12. I'm, I'm trying to think. Yeah, he, he was got eliminated in the round of 12. Okay, I couldn't remember which round he got eliminated in. Again, had his struggles. Um, they obviously were not a top five team all year, but made the 12, had the shot. Um, faded back a little, still knocking down top 10 finishes. I look forward to that team into the future, what they've built already 
this year into the playoffs, got into the playoffs, achieved that, didn't advance, but they can build on that. And then, again, same with uh, 48 of Parker Kligerman. And just outside that, Lane Riggs in the number 11, you know, one of a few limited starts. Um, he was what you call the dart without feathers, ping pong ball there at Martinsville. <laughs> I think that he was involved in multiple of the cautions, some of his doings, some of not, of take advantage of the rookie or whatever. Um, I'm sure he feels that way that some of them were other people using his up. But he also made some mistakes of his own. But to come back and get an 11th place finish, I thought was great for him. Yeah, Raja Karuth in 12th place as well. Another one, and that one, truthfully, he had a pretty quiet day as far as it was getting there. Again, just staying out of trouble, and when the trouble happened, going around it um, to get up there and get that, like you said, 12th place finish. Uh, for for him, though, having a day of finishing the race and not being part of the discussion of cautions and wrecks and whatnot, you've got to consider that a successful day without a doubt. Now, 20 of the 38 drivers, uh, Jay, finished on the lead lap uh, at the end of the race, uh, but there were a lot of accidents and a few uh, mechanical failures in this race. So I'm going to start at the bottom and work my way up here. Uh, Kyle Sieg had an accident that took him out of the race on lap 40. Uh, Devin Jones had an engine problem that took him out on lap 131. Chandler Smith had an accident taking him out on lap 187. Ryan Sieg had a steering problem taking him out on lap 203. J.J. Yaley was out on lap 207 due to an accident. Uh, Akinori Ogata, uh, all the way from Japan, had an oil line issue that took him out of the race on lap 217. Brennan Poole was out on lap 218 due to an engine failure. Uh, Connor Mozak had a radiator problem taking him out on lap 232. Another radiator problem for Chris Hacker took him out on lap 237. Uh, Joe Graff Jr. was still running, I guess, at the end of this race to make that 21 cars, uh, but he was multiple laps down. Uh, on lap 243, it was Kaz Grala out because of an accident. Chad Pincham out on lap 244 along with Jeffrey Earnhardt due to an accident. Also, Sam Mayer was out uh, for the same thing. Uh, lap 244 because of an accident. Lap 245, Ryan Ellis had a transmission go out. Uh, and so uh, on lap 255, three cars out, Austin Hill, Blaine Perkins, and Josh Balicki uh, all out on lap 255 because of an accident. So a lot of accidents in this particular race. It goes to show you just how intense this race was with everybody going for that victory. Well, uh, and I'm going to do some uh, some basic, simple math here. It's a half-mile track. Take that in half, <laughs> a quarter mile would be the last half of that. Take it down to the final quarter, you're talking an eighth of a lap. Coming off the corner to the start-finish line is almost the 16th end, and that's where all this happened. And you mentioned it there, yep. Austin Hill. Um being having a shot at the win, getting bumped around involved in that, went from first to twenty first in one sixteenth of a mile. 
John Hunter Nemechek yeah. and Cole Custer obviously crossed the line, but they finished 18th and 19th. Um, so yeah. there too, the competitiveness of these teams that are finishing, you know, lead lap. And this is Martinsville we're talking about. Um, <laughs> to see that, yeah, you can't make a mistake. I mean, even in that last 16th of a mile. Yeah, we'll talk about it on hot topics, but I've heard a lot of people say this. Uh, once you're in the round of eight, you can't make mistakes. You almost have to have a perfect race in order to stay in it. Now, I know you said, you, I don't know how much you had watched over the weekend, Sharon. You're not even going to give credit to the driver that made that comment? Oh, who made that comment? That was that was Denny Hamlin's. Uh, Denny Hamlin's one oh. that, that said that of, if you weren't winning, you sure as heck couldn't have a mistake in a bad race because he was going back to his uh, finish last weekend. Um, when we get to the cup side, we'll yeah. talk about that because he did everything right yesterday other than win the race, which uh, I think he got third. But, um, yeah, that was Denny Hamlin's quote of his frustration with I not making it. Of, I heard a lot of people saying the same thing, though. Uh, let's cover the point standings before we run out of time, Jay. All right, uh, for the Cups or for the sorry Xfinity Series here, the four Sam Mayer was already locked in. Justin Algar guaranteeing himself in with the victory now, and then John Hunter Nemechek and Cole Custer, the two that ended up getting in on points. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek had, I believe, locked in early in the race based on the stage points, um, so it came down to whoever won and a points or two points, and that's why it was so intense because, like I said, that changed throughout the. Uh, the latter part of that race, but it'll be Sam Merritt, Justin Algar, John Hunter Nemechek, Cole Custer as your four championship four eligible. Then you have Austin Hill, Sammy Smith, Daniel Hemrick, Parker Kligerman, Sheldon Creed, Chandler Smith, and Josh Berry, and Jeb Burton as the other eight. And I'm looking here, Austin Hill at 22-29, Sammy Smith 22-15, Daniel Hemrick, 2208, and Parker Kligerman, yeah, 2188, and Sheldon Creed, 2187. From ninth, math-wise, Sheldon Creed could still finish fifth. Um, and there again, there's, mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything official, but a hot topic to come may be whether or not Sheldon Creed is in that car for the final race of the year, as there was some uh, other discussion. Yeah, I heard a little bit of that today on the radio. I was like, I hadn't heard anything to that effect. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if something were to come out this week. I hope not. I hope everybody, cooler heads prevail and they can uh, put it behind them. Yeah, I hope so, too. Because <laughs> that, uh, that was an interesting uh finish to the race for sure okay we are now going to move over to the cup series uh, notes here and uh, cover that race and uh, we will uh, the winner there uh, was another one that I don't think uh, people were expecting but let's go ahead and cover it Uh, Ryan Blaney uh, came up with the victory in the Xfinity 500. Uh, he drives the number 12 discount tire Ford 
for Team Penske. Jonathan Hassler is his crew chief. It was his 10th victory in 305 Cup Series races, his third victory and 17th top 10 finish of the season, and his first victory and 10th top 10 finish in 16 races at Martinsville. I noticed you picked him. You took him from me <laughs> in, the, in our fantasy game. Well, I will throw that out real quick. Uh, it was something that did surprise me. Uh, although didn't have the win, Ryan Blaney had the best average finish at Martinsville. Yes, he So, does. yeah, that is who I went with with the fantasy pick. Um, he just <laughs> didn't get the win. So, now he's got that check. You, you heard uh, Justin Algar talking about it. He's got the clock. <laughs> yep, that's true. Uh, my favorite picture of the weekend is him hugging that clock. I thought that was a great photo. Eric Amarola uh, finished in second place, his ninth top 10 finish in 30 races at Martinsville and his fifth top 10 finish of the season. And what a great finish for him uh, for his last race at Martinsville with Stuart Haas Racing. Denny Hamlin finished third, posting his 25th top 10 finish in 36 races at Martinsville. Ty Gibbs in 18th was the highest finishing rookie of that race. Uh, this is another great recap. Um, Ryan Blaney did what Denny Hamlin couldn't do in Sunday's Xfinity 500 at Martinsville Speedway. As a result, Blaney will race for the Cup Series title next Sunday at Phoenix Raceway as Hamlin exits the playoffs after a hard luck round of eight. Um, he won the uh, race, the Xfinity 500. For his third win of the year, and Eric Almirola came in second, followed by Hamlin, as we mentioned. Then it was Chase Briscoe and Joey Logano rounding out the top five. Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Chris Busher, Austin Sindrick, and Todd Gilliland round out the top ten. Blaney was strong all day. He led 145 laps. He passed Almirola with 22 laps remaining and was never challenged for the lead again. The pole winner, Martin Drex Jr., was caught speeding on pit road just before the end of stage two, and he was never able to work his way back through the field, but he did end up finishing in 12th. Drivers advancing uh, are... Well, I'll let uh, Jay cover that in a few minutes here. But uh, the drivers eliminated were Denny Hamlin, Chris Buescher, Martin Truex, and Tyler Ruddick. Stage one was won by Denny Hamlin. Stage two by Ryan Blaney. There were 12 lead changes among six drivers and seven cautions for 61 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 75.244 miles per hour. Thoughts about the top 10 finishers in this race? Again, so much. It was a great race. Didn't quite have quite the same um, finish as we saw in the Xfinity series, but this one was pretty good. Uh, again, I mentioned going into the race, I saw, I noticed that when I was looking at our fantasy picks, Ryan Blaney having that best average finish just didn't have the victory. You mentioned it four times that he led for 145 laps. That up though too, and this was carryover history from last week. Um, Denny Hamlin led four times for 156 laps. Uh, and a lot of those laps were every other lap because those two were side-by-side side majority of the race. So, And I'll come back to Denny Hamlin. But the second-place finish there for Eric Almirola. Uh, you know, the announcement finally did come out of his official status for next year. 
we'll talk about that when it comes to hot topics. But to finish out with some momentum, <coughs> excuse me, unfortunately not a win. But then you had Denny Hamlin, Chase Briscoe, and Joey Logano. Uh, the bottom half, again, you see the championship contenders, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Chris Buescher, um, unfortunately just uh, not in a position to capitalize and finish off their strong runs um, for Chris Buescher anyway. Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, too, that are moving on. Then you had Austin Sindrick and Todd Gillen. Again, there was a little bit of movement there at the end of this race, just not in the fashion that we saw from uh, the Xfinity series. But this was something I picked up on. Excuse me. <coughs> One second. Okay. Um, listening to the NASCAR Series XM throughout the day today on, on several different shows, William Byron struggled, finished 13th. HMS Chevrolet, as a matter of fact. Kyle Larson was the only other Chevrolet uh, in the top 10, and that was a sixth-place finish. For whatever reason, they're talking about it, Chevy just missed the boat, the setup, whatever this weekend. So that was a big surprise coming out of all that. Yes, indeed, and and thanks for putting that out. William Byron, he was so beat at the end of that race. It was hot in Martinsville this weekend, so in addition to the stress of racing for the championship four, uh, these drivers had to deal with that heat for the 500 miles, uh, and it wasn't easy, and these guys uh, give them a lot of credit for everything they did. Um, William Byron just didn't have the car he needed, and uh, he pushed and pushed and pushed, and he said he got a lot of um, uh, people encouraging him on the radio to keep pushing uh, to get the best finish that he could, and that was a 13th place finish. Um, there were only 12 cars on the lead lap. William Byron was actually a lap down, uh, so uh, several cars, unlike the Xfinity race, there were uh, 33 cars running at the end of this race, uh, but so many of them were multiple, one or more laps down. Uh, BJ McLeod, Mike's pick this weekend, uh, was out on lap 147 for overheating. Uh, JJ Yaley was out due to an accident, and Daniel Suarez, uh, uh, first let me back up, JJ Yaley was out on lap 271. Daniel Suarez out on lap 274 uh, due to the damaged vehicle policy. Those are the only three drivers that did not finish the race. Uh, so the margin of victory in this race was also rather tight, 0.899 thousandths of a second. So, um, wow. <laughs> a little more tame in the finish. Uh, everybody acknowledged that Ryan Blaney – uh, was the car the right car won this race? Well, and we got a few minutes here, so I'll go into that. Uh, you talked about there William Byron being in, in 13th, one lap down. The reason that was so important, even with his six uh, leading six, does he have six or seven wins? But I don't, I don't have the other chart up, but um, was in a position. He had to finish, I believe, 18th, and then it didn't matter whether it was Denny Hamlin or Ryan Blaney who won the race, um, that it was going to be a points battle between the other one. 
and he needed to be 18th or better. And that's where he was running at one point. He had moved up, but by going a lap down, if we'd have had a caution or a restart there, being a lap down, get involved in something, he could have then dropped, uh, you know, below that 18th mark. And, and that's where the, the crew chief and the team kept telling him, you know, need to fight really hard to stay on the lead lap or be that car to get the uh, free pass if something were to happen. Because as you mentioned, then the last one that was one lap down was Michael McDowell in 25th. So again, if something were to happen, have that restart, him be involved in something, he could go back as far as 25th and he would have been out of the playoffs. So the format I think is really huge because that was the intensity and things changed every portion of the race. Talked about the stage point yeah. that started affecting things. Um, so that, that intensity level was there all the way until those closing laps. Yes, it was. So I do think that um, it was an exciting race in the end, and I was happy for Ryan Blaney, happy for Eric Almarola. Uh, you, feel, you had to feel bad for those that didn't make it into the next round. Um, but it, when I really look at it, I think the right four drivers are moving forward. Um, well, should we cover the points? Go ahead. All right. I will. I wanted to say when I, I said I'd come back to Denny Hamlin. Post-race gave a great interview, uh, gave credit to Ryan Blaney. And I will say this, even with the history, that, the, I say history, last week history, between the two of them, yes, it's Martinsville. They bumped and they banged, but they ran hard and aggressive but didn't wreck each other. Uh, I was really kind of waiting to see how that all played out. Ryan Blaney actually did kind of lose his cool, but that was with somebody else as he was working his way up um, to get back into that position. And there again, had to be told, hey, keep your cool, you know, get back on it. There at the end, they said, hey, you got a little bit of car left, go run down Eric Almarola. He was able to. Denny Hamlin was coming, but uh, not able to. I don't know that he was going to catch and get back to side-by-side with Ryan Blaney. Um, but then I guess as some other stuff came out today, he did have his tirade against Joey Logano. They had a little bit of a situation and you mentioned the four that get in. Denny Hamlin is not one of them. And we have talked about this for years as to why. And I think that still is a carryover as to part of it, but the four that go do advance, uh, Ryan Blaney now with that victory, Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, and then mentioned William Byron. And William Byron has six wins. I couldn't remember if he had gotten his seventh or if he was looking for seven. So when you look at it from that aspect, the only – when you made that statement, the, the four that you felt deserving, um, Ryan Blaney has not had the stellar up front all year. They have come on as of late, which obviously is important. Uh, you know, step up when the playoffs come, and they have done that. Mm-hmm. So they definitely earned their way in. You know, we've talked about Denny Hamlin, this possibly being his year, having already had three victories, um, would be the only one that I would actually make an argument for of maybe is on the outside and should have been in um, versus one of the four that did. But that's what the playoffs system is about. you got to step up here now. goes back to, like you said, if you're not winning, you better be perfect and not have a bad finish because – the intensity and, and competition is that tight that you're going to be on the outside looking in like Denny Hamlin is. 
and any even said really with the parts failure that they had last week, um, that really was what sealed their fate in the end because that forced him into a must-win situation here at Martinsville. And normally it's a good track for Denny, but and he he does pretty well here, but the competition is so tough anymore, especially with this next-gen car. Well, and, and go back and look at that, and I don't know if you want to be part of this discussion, but Martin Truick's another one. We talked about the Hendrick Motorsports yep. Chevrolet, that even them weren't exactly on point. And Martin Truix, having gotten the pole, um, but really wasn't a top, let's see, it says he led once for 47 laps. Um, those top two didn't leave a whole lot of room to leave laps. But that mistake on pit road, and yep. I think you said it or I heard it, um, second or third time this year, that first pit stall, it is still possible. I know Martin Truex was a little confused and, um, about it, didn't really feel he'd done anything wrong, but he knows it's all electronic. His speed from that first pit stall out, um, he, he was trying to understand that. Again, he wasn't trying to say he didn't. He just didn't understand it, but that isn't the first time it's happened this year. And like you said, then they just weren't able to recover and he talked about that. We we talk about it at, at all tracks, but you get back in the dirty air and the tra- and the battles you're in, you use up your tires and car so much yep. the further yep. back you get <laughs> in battling with uh, the pack and, and the track and the dirty air. He said he just he was never able to recover. Yeah, and that was unfortunate. Uh, but if you think about the seasons that he's had, yes, he won the regular season championship, but he had an up and down year. There's, there's no doubt uh, in my mind. Uh, you know, he made the mistake on pit road. He knew it was on him. And he, he said that in his post-race interview, the very first thing he said is that was on him. Um, so, you know, there's always next year. <laughs> I, I've always been an eternal Cubs fan, and, and we've learned how to say that. Uh, there's always next year. Hopefully he'll work way back again for next year. And Denny Hamlin will get another chance next year as well. So, uh, But I'm excited about the championship for uh, drivers, and uh, I know that the guys are going to be coming in, and we're going to be talking about that here shortly. I'm looking for a was... good Halloween sound I can do here. All right, okay. while you're doing that, I'll, I'll talk about that. I know Mike's one that talked about it. Martin Truex had a, and as a total stat line, a good year, but it was an up and down year. And unfortunately, when you look at his playoff races, they hit that valley. Uh, their finishes and situations, they had some of their own doing, some not just at the wrong time of the year. When you talk about being the regular season champion, and he 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 acknowledged that same as Chase Elliott from last year, um, getting by on the skin of their teeth even into this position based on the regular season yeah. points that they got, um, and he needed those, and unfortunately it just didn't carry him all the way. All right. Well, we're going to move on to NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan for racing crew, and uh, before we get started, we'll listen to this. Okay, that was a short one, thank goodness. All right, joining us for Hot Topic Sound Off uh, here tonight uh, is our Fan for Racing crew. We'll start with Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. 
<laughs> Good evening, everybody. I was trying to do my Halloween werewolf. I'm not sure how well it came across on the radio, but that's what I got. Okay, sounded good. Okay, Tommy, yeah, what do you got good. for us? Hey, y'all. Happy Halloween. Thank y'all for having me back. Well, we're glad to have you back, Tommy. Uh, why don't you go ahead and get us started off with our first top topic here tonight? All right, well, let's go with the drama from the Xfinity race, Austin Hill versus Sheldon Creed. Oh, boy. This could take the whole hour. <laughs> uh, Mike, what do, you, what do you say? Well, this got really spicy, didn't it? So we're talking about the, uh, the final overtime restart at the end of the Xfinity Series race. Uh, the two RCR cars, Sheldon Creed and Austin Hill, lined up. I think they were first and second. They lined up next to each other. Um, Austin Hill on the inside row, Sheldon Creed on the outside row, and they raced extremely hard for those last two laps. Uh, Austin Hill ended up coming up on the worst end of it. He got roughed up a little bit and ended up getting caught up in a wreck behind him. Sheldon Creed ended up finishing second to the eventual race winner, Justin Allgaier. After the race, there were some very heated comments on pretty much all sides. Um, starting at the top with team owner Richard Childress, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said so along the lines of he's never seen a race car driver stupider than Sheldon Creed. We don't know exactly what Andy Petrie said to Sheldon Creed, but after the race during Sheldon's post-race media availability, Andy Petrie came up and said something to Creed, to which Creed replied, if he had ran into me, y'all wouldn't have said anything. And then Austin Hill himself had some uh, other choice words about uh, Sheldon Creed. And I think we could talk about the uh, – the potential leak that uh, Austin Hill gave out later, he said he's really looking forward to Sheldon Creed moving on from Richard Childress Racing. From my standpoint, looking at the on-track incident, I didn't see Sheldon Creed did anything wrong. Um, we had two drivers who were racing extremely aggressively. Even Austin Hill himself admitted that he ran Sheldon up the track. He doored him and ran him up the track. And at that point, it's kind of game on. Sheldon knew how uh, Austin was racing him, and he raced him right back the same way. They were using all four corners of the car against each other, really rough racing, and Austin ended up coming up on the worst end of it. Um, as far as the stupid comment, I think both of them were pretty dumb, but out of, if I had to pick the dumber move out of the two of them, I would say that Austin Hill, because Austin Hill still had a points pathway into the championship four. As it turned out, Austin Hill got taken out, was eliminated on the basis of points. Sheldon Creed was already in a must-win situation. He did not win, so it was also eliminated. The smart move, the big brain move here, would have been for Austin Hill to fall in line behind his teammate Sheldon Creed and defend. Sheldon Creed would have won the race because there was nobody who was going to challenge and get up past those two cars. Sheldon Creed would have won the race and for sure advanced into the championship four. Based on how the other drivers behind him, notably Justin Allgaier and Cole Custer, how they finished, Austin Hill may or may not have been able to advance on points. As it was, uh, the way the race finished, Austin Hill would have been eliminated on the basis of points either way. However, that's not to say that Custer or Allgaier couldn't have gotten caught up in something behind them and lost the positions. And now, with the two winning the race and the 21 finishing second, both RCR cars had a chance to advance into the championship four. Instead, both of them were eliminated. So a pretty dumb move on both of their parts. But i got to say, it was extremely unprofessional, in my opinion, of the team owner, Richard Childress, to be that disparaging of one of his drivers who's out there racing his heart out for not just a chance to race in the championship four. You've got to remember, he's trying to race for his first Affinity Series one as well. He's racing his guts off out there, 
And for the team owner to come down on him that hard, that publicly, I thought was was a bit over the line, in my opinion, especially given that it wasn't just uh, Sheldon Creed who was racing like that. He was being racing just he was he was basically giving back what he was receiving from his own teammate. So I don't think anybody was in the wrong here per se. And if anybody was in the wrong, it definitely wasn't Sheldon Creed, at least not at the top of the list, in my opinion. <laughs> Excuse me, Jay. Your thoughts? Yeah, there, as as usual, agree but disagree. Um, both of them, as far as hard racing, you got to give it to them. And I know Mike, you had put it in the group. This is what NASCAR wanted created: you win and you advance. Sheldon Creed was clearly in a must-win situation. Only way he's advancing doesn't have a, an Xfinity Series victory. So his first, and if he does, it would move him on to the championship four round. Uh, and when we talk about it, a lot of a lot of it got compared back to last year, teammates Ty Gibbs and Brandon Jones. Huge difference. I didn't like that comparison. Uh, Brandon Jones at that time with JGR needed to win to get in. Ty Gibbs was already locked in, and Ty Gibbs did not move him up the track. He spun him out. He took him out. This was not the case. They bumped and they moved each other around, but they did not either one take each other out until we get back to the final lap, uh, final corner. And I'll come back to that. But so they're just hard racing. Yes, the bumper was used. Yes, there was some aggressiveness. Um, so from that aspect, no, I don't necessarily blame either one. Uh, you know, Sheldon Creed, like I said, I mean, had a lot more on it. The answer I saw a lot of people giving, oh, Austin Hill should have been smart. The team should have been smart, said, fall in line, you're okay. At that point, the way they were running, I believe it was Cole Custer he would have been in a points battle with then, was running, I believe, sixth or seventh, and it would have been a point or whether or not they got the tiebreaker, and you're talking about 15, 20-second laps to try and figure this out. You can't put it in the mathematical hands then because it was – as you mentioned, Cole Custer may get a position or two in that final lap, depending on what happens in front of him or who he can dive bomb. So in that short a time period, I think Austin Hill kind of did feel like, hey, I'm also in a must-win situation. Whether or not that would have been true is tough to say because, again, obviously a lot can happen in the final one-sixteenth of a mile. Um, but long-term, you're looking back, maybe so certainly wouldn't have done what played out. When Mike says Sheldon Creed did nothing wrong, um, the only other part, and Dave Moody was pretty harsh on this from taking this aspect. After Creed got the position and was in the lead going into the final corner, I viewed it as he knew he was going to get hit, so was trying to set the corner up to take the hit. Whether he had a mechanical problem, overshot the corner, um, watching in his rear view and didn't notice the corner coming up, he came really close to coming to a full stop, which is where then Austin Hill drove into him. Justin Algar able to go below both of them and get alongside of them. Um, you'd have to hear it from Sheldon Creed as to what exactly happened there. Uh, like I said, I felt like he knew he was going to take a hit and trying to set himself up in the corner. By doing so, he left the bottom hole lane open, which is where Dave Moody, these callers that were calling in saying Sheldon Creed did, did nothing wrong. Dave Moody pointed out, he went into that corner, left the bottom open for however it happened, left the bottom open. Dave used the word come to a stop to try and reset and regroup <laughs> and then go. 
um, cost himself the race, you know, because he had the lead. So mistakes were made, whether it was wrong aggressively or, you know, shouldn't have, a mistake was made. And so it was, it was a wild one. I mean, and I'll come back. I still got several other things. Uh, Sharon, you mentioned this one, this one could go all night, but I'll, I'll hit some other things on the second go round. Let Tommy jump in here. Okay. Uh, now Mike and I did kind of talk about this in the chat during the race. And, um, I really think that the, uh, the reason that Sheldon Creed slowed down in that corner, there was some speedy drive there. And if you watch that video, you can see the dust from the speedy drive fly up from his tires as he's going into that corner. And I'm sure that the reason he, he, he started, uh, uh, the reason he slowed down and had to almost come to a stop is because of that speedy drive. So I don't think that was anything intentional. Uh, I don't think uh, he said, I'm going to stop in this corner. I think that he got caught up in that speedy dry and was forced to slow down. The, the consequence of that, though, was that Sheldon Creed uh, wasn't able to slow down, and neither was John Hunter Nemechek, who was behind him. John Hunter Nemechek is the car that actually hit him and caused him to uh, uh, end up with that 21st position. So, uh, and I know he blames because he came out on social media later and he, he said, I'm not so upset that he was, uh, you know, racing me at, there at the end and uh, the side drafting and all and the bumping and the banging. He said that isn't what bothered him. What bothered him was that slowdown in the corner. And, and I really think he didn't have a choice in that corner with all that speedy dry uh, that was on that corner. And you can see it if you watch the video. Um, but here's the scenario. You've got uh, Sheldon Creek in a must-win situation, and, Jay, you set it up pretty well, why Austin Hill was in a must-win situation. Uh, Cole Custer was in sixth place. If he was in seventh place, Cole Custer and Austin Hill would have tied. Austin would have won the tiebreaker uh, and would have been able to advance in. However, Cole Custer was in sixth place. Nobody knows what's going to happen at that point. So, yeah, he's in a must-win situation, and that's probably what his crew chief or spotter or somebody told him, you got to go after the win. Um so he's, they're both in a must-win situation. You've got Justin Algauer, who was completely out of it at this point of the game, and he was in a must-win situation. And what they did uh, was open the door, and he was racing door-to-door with Sheldon Creed to the finish line and won it by 32 thousandths of a second over Sheldon Creed at the finish line. Now, the way I look at this, um, I agree with Mike that it's a very uh, not a good look for Richard Childress Racing to have the leader of their organization say the kind of comment that he made about Sheldon Creed. He's the man who hired Sheldon Creed. So what does that say about him? Um, I 
and I heard Kyle Petty say that earlier today, and, and I agree with that. He's the man who hired Sheldon Creed. So I think that uh, it, it was not very professional of Richard Childress to say that comment about Sheldon Creed. It was very unprofessional for uh, Andy Petrie to talk to Sheldon Creed the way that they talked to him. They hired Sheldon Creed to race for the best possible position he could get. His job was to try to win that race. That was his job, and that's exactly what he did. And I agree, I didn't see him do anything wrong, including the situation in the corner. Uh, It was either... He was going to either slide out around and cause a huge wreck, or he was going to slow down and, and minimize it. Um, so, I I think it was very unprofessional uh, all the way around. I understand the heat of the moment, and I think all of this was the heat of the moment. You had Austin Hill walking by um, Sheldon Creed's pit and and giving them an applause in a very um, um, menace, not menacing, that's not the word I want, but it, it was in a condescending way. Um, and you had Sheldon Creed put on the spot, and I have to agree with Sheldon Creed in this, that if it was the other way around, they probably wouldn't have said anything to, to Austin Hill about it. So I, I really think it was very unprofessional all the way around. But I think it starts at the top, and I think Richard Childress, Andy Petrie, those guys ought to be ashamed of themselves for the way that they behaved. It was not um, ownership behavior, in my opinion, Um, and very unprofessional. So uh, I guess I'll leave it there, and um, Tommy, you you get to tell us what you think. Well, I agree with you guys, uh, you and Mike. Um, when I, I was watching that race, and I, to me, Sheldon did nothing wrong. I mean, he was being a good teammate. It was hard racing. I mean, we've seen it before with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson battling it out at Martinsville. I mean, Sheldon Sheldon left them plenty of room, and, you know, they could have, Sheldon could have won and Austin could have finished second. It didn't work out that way. And that was a vicious crash at the end, too. Jeff Burton hit the wall pretty hard because of all that stuff that was going on. But mm-hmm. to me, to me, Sheldon did nothing wrong. And Austin Hill walking sarcastically by. And then we haven't really brought up the fact yet that, I mean, he leaked sensitive information that wasn't an out shit. I mean, that's unprofessional by him. I mean, Everybody's got the idea of where Sheldon's going, but it hasn't come out yet. But thanks to him, we now know. Um, and Richard Childress, I don't know what he's been drinking or smoking. If he if he thinks Sheldon Creed is the dumbest driver he's ever had, he obviously doesn't look at who's driving the three car or the fact that Ty Dillon drove for him. And those are his own <laughs> grandkids. I know that might be harsh, but, I mean, I'm just going to be flat out honest. Austin Dillon won the Daytona 500, yeah. It was cool to see the three-car back in victory lane. If I remember, though, I think he totaled Eric Almarola to win that one. Um, Charlotte, lucky, gas strategy. Cool that the three-car the three was one to go call 600, and then Texas, once again, lucky. 
Oh, but he's got a truck championship and he's got an Xfinity championship. Yeah, okay. Austin Dillon's all right, but he's still. If Sheldon Creed was in the Cup Series and in a Hendrick car or a Penske car or a Joe Gibbs car, he'd be finishing ahead of Austin Dillon any day. Just, just saying facts. Not nothing against Austin Dillon. Um, Ty Dillon's not good either. John West Townley drove for Richard Childress. I mean, another thing that I want to bring up too is Richard Childress seems to have favorites when he's got a driver. Uh, For example, when Earnhardt was driving and Skinner was coming up, Skinner flat out said on the junior podcast that Senior did not like Skinner being his teammate and that he felt like Richard Childress and Dale didn't give Mike Skinner a a fair chance and that Dale's cars were better than Mike Skinner's. Now, was Dale Earnhardt better than Mike Skinner? Yeah, not even close. But interesting comment. And then let's fast forward a few years later. Jeff Green, who had been in their Xfinity program, said that Kevin Harvick and Richard Childress were a one-man team, and then the next day Jeff Green gets fired. Hmm, that's suspicious. And now we're looking at it, and Austin Hill and Sheldon Creed is a resurface. And, and then let's not even forget about Kevin Harvick calling out Richard Childress about his own grandkids at Martinsville back in, like, mm-hmm. 2010 or 2013, whatever that was. So, I mean, if you ask me, you know, Richard Childress plays to his favorites, um, and Andy Petrie and Richard Childress and Austin Hill were way out of line. They're just upset because Sheldon Creed didn't win the race. Austin Dillon didn't get into the final four, and Sheldon Creed's leaving to go to a better, well, I don't know. if it, I mean, Sheldon's been driving two years in Xfinity and hasn't won yet. Not saying that it won't happen, but, you know, he has a good chance of winning where he's going. And, um, yeah, for Austin Hill, I just don't like him. I didn't really like the sarcastic clap walking by. I mean, I don't know. They, they, it's also a problem with the playoff format, format, in my opinion. I mean, not only were Austin Hill and Sean Creed mad at each other after the race, but so were John Hunter Nemechek and Sammy Smith, mm-hmm. and they were teammates. And let's not forget Ty Gibbs wrecked Brandon Jones last year at the same place. With this championship four stuff going on, Teammates are going to be beefing. I could only imagine what it would have been like with Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson back in the day. They would have hated each other more than they already did, probably. Um, but, I mean, yeah, Austin Hill, Rich Childress, Andy Petrie, way out of line. I mean, Sheldon gave Austin a fair chance. To me, both of them just blew it. But, you know, anyway, get blame it on him because he's leaving, I guess. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Andy kind of hit on it a little bit. If you look at the history of Richard Childress racing, you look at a lot of bad breakups that that team has had with various drivers. Quite a few different drivers have driven for Richard Childress and have left under less than friendly circumstances. He mentioned Kevin Harvick. Don't forget Jeff Burton, Tyler Reddick even more recently, and many other drivers have all left Richard Childress racing with kind of a sour taste in their mouth, to, to put it diplomatically. And at some point, you kind of got to kind of wonder, is this one of those cases when when everyone around you is a jerk? Maybe it's you, Richard Childress. So he's got this this collection of of drivers, and I guess Sheldon Creed is on the list now, that that he's got these messy breakups going with him. 
and there's one common denominator behind all of them, and his name's on the side of the building. So for Richard Childress to, to be that disrespectful of his driver, like I said, I think that's, that's way out of line there. Um, with regard to the, uh, the on-track stuff, I think, Sharon, you covered it very well as far as uh, Sheldon Creed most likely hit the speedy try. He may have overslowed, uh, but remember, he's the first car down there. He's the leader. He does, not only does he not have the benefit of everybody else cleaning it out from there, he doesn't get to see how fast the guy in front of him ran through it. And if he overcooks it, he's the one who's sliding up the racetrack and at best giving up his position, if not hitting the fence and taking himself completely out of the race. So you can't really blame him for checking up maybe a little bit too much and being a little bit too cautious in that corner because they put down the beach on that corner because of all the oil that came down from the wreck that happened previously. Um, and like Jay said, uh, and I mentioned in, in the, the group chat there, um, as much as uh, some people within, you know, the NASCAR and the associated media and everything, they want to clutch their pearls and, oh, this is so bad, and why are, why are drivers so, so disrespectful, and why, is there, why do they fight so much? This is exactly what NASCAR wanted. They created this system. Uh, they, they intentionally put drivers in this situation, this pressure, win or go home, win or your season is over kind of a thing, and they put the stakes so high intentionally to create this kind of drama and animosity and bad blood and aggressive racing because they wanted it for the entertainment value. So they can't have their cake and eat it too. They can't uh, want the, all this, uh, this high-stakes racing, but then at the same time complain when drivers race like their entire season is on the line because effectively their entire season is on the line when you're coming into a must-win situation like Sheldon Creed was. So – the, the system is just as responsible for what the drivers are doing on the track as the drivers themselves are. Uh, prior to the playoff format, you had the opportunity as a driver to say, ah, we'll take the second place, we'll get them next time. We'll take what we can get. Uh, it'll be a good enough point today, we'll, we'll get them next time. But now you've got drivers who are in the position where if I don't win this race, second place isn't good enough. I must win this race or I have absolutely no opportunity to, to go get them next week. My season is over. So drivers are put in that position and when you're talking about drivers at this level of racing with this much on the line in terms of uh, sponsorship uh, especially in the Xfinity series the kind of notoriety that comes along with being a final four driver getting your name out there to potentially move up into the NASCAR Cup series there's a lot on the line for these guys and it's understandable that they race like if their entire career depends on it because in some cases it very well might so uh, it's not a surprise. It's not unexpected. This is a product of the system itself. And if we want to change the way the drivers are racing on the racetrack, I think the only way to do it would be to change the system. And I don't know that we need to. It's good. It's entertaining. NASCAR got what they wanted. They got the drama. They got the entertainment. Here we are on Monday night talking about a second-tier race that happened on Saturday. So what more does NASCAR want out of the deal? Uh, I think the system is, is doing exactly what it was designed to do for good or for bad. Okay, Jay, you're next. Well, I'm now I'm really confused because the answer from Sheldon Creed was I did what I had to do to try and win the race. And normally, Sharon, you're on the side of that. That's not an acceptable answer. Yet you're the one defending Sheldon Creed. I was okay, well, and as I, I've always go go ahead, go Jared. I'll I'll defend myself when it's my turn. <laughs> Okay. I, you know, like I said, as far as the bumping and banging, I've always been okay that because it was not an absolute rectum, uh, took him out and gave him no chance. Both of them still had a chance going into the end. 
with the speedy dry thing, I, I, and I, that wasn't one I mentioned when, when I went through what happened there. Certainly could have been a factor. However, the entire field had already come through there once, um, but certainly could have played a factor, like I said, of overshot the corner, blocked him up, whatever. Um, I still think, like I said, he was kind of setting himself up to take the hit. I'm sure he didn't want to leave the bottom as open as he did. But then you get into the, the Richard Childress uh, situation of it. And, and, yeah, that whole deal, I think we're all in agreement, just was not handled well. And I think we have a similar situation to uh, Mike mentioned it. He, he said he had to mention something different because Tommy mentioned what he was going to talk about. There have, is a history of uh, that at RCR, but the most recent being Tyler Reddick. And I think that kind of is what comes into play. When the announcement came out that Sheldon Creed was leaving Richard Childress Racing, uh, it kind of caught us off guard or whatever. Nothing was announced from either side. We didn't expect to see Jesse Love in an RCR car. Uh, We thought he was going to stay with Toyota, looking towards the truck series. All of a sudden, he's in the RCR car. That might be the same situation that uh, Richard Childress is, all of a sudden upset that, somebody they were going to sign just hadn't yet or whatever has announced they're going to move on. Uh, You know, that's what happened with Tyler Reddick. He said, hey, you guys had the option to pick up my option. You didn't, so I made other plans. And then it became, well, now you're no longer a part of the team. How long has that been the case with Sheldon Creed? He obviously has kind of felt that way all along. And you guys went through the history. uh, And, Tommy, going back to Mike Skinner, Dale Earnhardt, I mean, that one was very public. Uh, Dale Earnhardt was not a fan of having a teammate, you know, um, but there's been some others to include when Harvick left feeling that all of a sudden it was Austin Dillon that was being handed everything um, when it came to that. The comments of who Sheldon Creed is and how he is, absolutely, you're right, unprofessional. And if you got that opinion, handle that in-house, let him walk out the door and be done everybody go their separate ways. There is no reason for that. I understand you aren't happy. You got two cars that are now not in the championship and you could have had both. So many different things could have played out in the way it all went down, but to come out like that. um, Yeah. I don't think was, was right and appropriate. And you guys have kind of hit on it of the the history there. So uh, might be something to it. The, uh, the only other thing is, um, and this one, this was one listening to Dave Moody. Uh, like I said, he he was not a fan of what either driver did, as it put the whole black eye on the series as a whole of how they how they race. And when it comes to the win at all costs, which yes, the format does promote that, but you still got to be a professional. And this is where my issue comes in. This isn't about anybody on this show necessarily, but look at some other paths. Ross Chastain, aggressive driver, does what he has to do to win races or move on. And people wanted to be against him. Kyle Busch does it. It's bad. Chase Elliott does it. It's okay. That's where I have the problem. And, and with that, like I said, I didn't think either one of them necessarily did. But I will say this. If your answer is, well, I did whatever I had to do to win the race, you didn't win the race. That was one of the last things I did agree with Dave Moody on today. He said, hey, if you're going to use that answer, win the race. <laughs> Sheldon can't use that answer. He didn't win the race. He came awful close. He was 32 <laughs> one-thousandths of a second away from winning that race. 
So he was doing everything he possibly could. Now, to defend my stance here, I've always said I have no problem with beating and banging and, and knocking each other around a little bit as long as you're not intentionally knocking the other driver out of your way to win a race. That I have a problem with. Now, in Sheldon's case, who did he wreck? Sheldon didn't wreck anybody. He didn't wreck anybody. Uh, the driver that hit Austin Hill was John Hunter Nemechek. And, it, yeah, it was because Sheldon Creed slowed down in that corner, but he was, he was forced to slow down in that corner uh, because of the speedy drive. Maybe that is part of his experience that maybe he overslowed the car and he probably could have gotten through there a little bit better than what he did. Um, but I didn't see him intentionally try to wreck anybody. And that I do have a problem with. Sheldon Creed did not do that. So I, I, I still stand by my, my stance that you don't knock each other out of the race to win the race. Um, you do what you need to do to win it by racing each other and that's exactly what these guys were doing they were racing each other side by side bumping and banging uh and going for that finish um uh i i i don't think he ever knocked uh austin hill out of the race uh now when they bumped and bang austin hill got loose and did fall back uh but i didn't see um that austin that uh sheldon creed intentionally sidelined him out of that race. Um, let's see. There was something else. With regard to Richard Childress, thank you for bringing that up about the history that he has accumulated here uh, with drivers leaving him. Tyler Reddick last year leaves early from his contract. There's a reason he was leaving early. He had a better opportunity and probably less drama involved in his life by moving to another organization. Uh, and I think that that's probably the case for Sheldon Creed, too. Uh, I think that Sheldon Creed, it became very clear to him who the favorite was, and he wasn't it. So I think he gave him all the room he could give him uh, when he was racing him. And uh, uh, Austin Hill, and you guys know I like Austin Hill, but... I'm I'm going to defend Sheldon Creed in this because Sheldon Creed didn't do anything wrong. Um, I was a fan of Richard Childress Racing until recently. Uh, I've really changed my mind about Richard Childress uh, and and his professionalism because I don't think he's shown professionalism. And I think it all starts there. If you want your drivers to get along with each other, you've got to establish an environment where the drivers get along with each other. And I don't think that's happening at Richard Childress Racing. So I, I put most of the blame uh, on the owner uh, for what happened after the race. As far as the race itself, I think that all of these drivers were trying to do everything they could to win that race. And that's what we ask of the drivers, the 100% rule. Do whatever you can to win the race. Uh, and I think in Sheldon's case, I think he was being respectful of his fellow competitors. I, I didn't see him being disrespectful. Um, 
as far as the racing is concerned. So I I think that all of these drivers were given it everything that they had. I don't think anybody did anything wrong. I think it was good, hard racing that happened, and that's what we ask for every week. So I I think it was all um, it was all good. And I had something else, but I can't think of what it is right now. So, Tommy, we'll go to you to wrap it up. Well, let me just add one more. Uh, Richard Childress, uh, also his first driver was Ricky Rudd, who got replaced by Dale Earnhardt, and there was some beef there, too. So, I mean, it goes way back to the inception of when it started. Um, But, yeah, I just – the thing that – I wanted to basically, I guess, add back on and bring up once again was the fact that he calls Sheldon Creed the dumbest driver he's ever had. That That's just ridiculous. I mean, he really needs to pull out all of the guys that he's had drive for him since, I mean, when was Ricky Rudd there, like 82 or something? And, I mean, you're going to, like I said, you're going to see names like John West Townley, uh, Austin and Ty Dillon, and, you know, some other drivers that just, you know, you could say we're dumber than Sheldon Creed. Um, I just feel like that since Sheldon Creed's leaving and, he, you know, he didn't win and it kind of prevented Austin Hill from winning too, I guess. I mean, but it was still just clean racing and, you know, they they just didn't get in and they got somebody to blame and, I mean, you like you said, you know, you know, Childress was out of line, disrespectful, and, you know, probably should issue an apology or at least feel somewhat remorse for it. But, I mean, I gotta, you got to throw Andy Petrie in there, too. I mean, him walking by on Sheldon Creed on pit road. I mean, you could look in Sheldon Creed's face, too, and tell he was exhausted. The guy's trying to go for his first win, too, and make the playoffs. I mean, had he had won and then won them the championship next week, they probably wouldn't have said anything. But you can clearly tell they're playing favorites to Austin Hill. And, I mean, you know, you said you like Austin Hill. He's kind of other – I didn't really like the sarcastic clapping and him saying – I didn't like that Sheldon, either. I didn't really like him saying announcing where Sheldon Creed's going. But I, there was one more incident that I wanted to say about Austin Hill that I did not like from earlier this year. He won at Daytona Talladega, and you could clearly tell he's like the Xfinity Super Speedway king right now. After that Atlanta race, he got out of the car, and he was like, oh, I guess we're just going to let Calling win or something like that. And, I mean, I just wanted him to, like, kind of think outside the box a little bit. Like, all right, I've won the last three Super Speedway races, I mean, I guess he was just thinking people were going to pull over and let him win. I just, I didn't really get the comment. And that, you know, that was like strike one. And now he's got strike two on me for clapping and being sarcastic and announcing where Sheldon Creek's going. I mean, uh, that was pretty classless, too. But, I mean, there is one thing about Austin Hill, though, that um, Sheldon Creek and Richard Childerson need to be careful about. Let's not forget what he did with Tamiat Snyder last year at a. Uh, Martinsville. So, yeah, if you get too close to Austin Hill, you're probably going to end up flat on your back. So keep that in mind. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, we'll let that be the last word. And, Mike, you need to bring up that next topic. Well, it's sneaky season, so I've got to bring up a really scary one here. This weekend, Eric Almirola confirmed what a lot of us expected, that he is going to be stepping away from the number 10 car. He said he might be open to running part-time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series or Truck Series. But as we, a lot of us expected, the SHR number 10 car is going to be open for next year. A lot of rumors, now this is just rumor, nothing confirmed or announced yet, but a lot of rumors have, ooh, Noah Gregson going into the number 10 at Stuart Haas Racing next year. <laughs> okay, Jay. What do you got? <laughs> Hold on, hold on. I'm going to get my own laugh track out of the way after that. Uh, that was a really well-timed one. Um, this one, I mean, we kind of got the feeling of, of what Eric Almirola is, maybe not the full extent, but that he wasn't going to be back full-time next year. Uh, the phrasing in this one that it won't, he will not return to SHR, and then obviously full-time, um, that he really was trying to work a deal to be part-time. Um, was kind of surprising as far as that. And I don't know if he expected uh, Stuart Haas Racing to work with him on that. I know there's some loyalty issues there, but they're not there to run part-time at the cup level. And I'm, so I was kind of glad to hear that wasn't uh, an option that was put on the table. Um, I know sponsorship may drive it, whatever. As far as Noah Gregson going into the car, uh, that was kind of surprising. I really thought... Uh, he was going to go to college racing. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on a minute. Let me verify. We can get official word here. I'm going to try and talk to Austin Hill. Uh, okay, Austin doesn't know where uh, Noah Gregson's going yet. Okay. Um, sorry, I thought I had an update for you there. Um, I lost my train of thought completely as that one just didn't there. Um, no, I, I did expect to see Noah Gregson back in the Cup Series, uh, not necessarily at Stuart Haas Racing. It's one of those of, I want to see him back if SHR, and I know Andy uh, is another one that chimed in here, had hope or had good vibes this weekend. We saw Eric Almirola come away with second place. Chase Briscoe was there. We've seen them turn a little bit of a corner here in the latter part of this season, so I have hope moving forward uh, with that. I'm glad to see Gregson get the opportunity. I'll just say that. And I know there were some comparisons made of they wouldn't take the chance on Kyle Larson after his incident and he went over to Chevy that they're willing to work with Noah Gregson in a similar type of situation, even less, in my opinion, uh, less than what Kyle Larson had done. Um, so to see him get the opportunity, I'm happy for him. Is it the best location and the, and the best equipment or uh, opportunity right now? Maybe not, but uh, I think that – we're going to see them go through that. We've seen it with other teams of, I don't know about hit rock bottom, but certainly not on par with where they've been. Looking at Josh Berry stepping into the number four. Um, Chase Briscoe, in my opinion, going to be the leader of the group overall. Ryan Priest certainly could be. A, we talked about that, him winning that modified race. We know he can still race. Again, just right now with where Ford's been, SHR has been, they haven't really gotten the chance to fully show the capability of the drivers. So get the ship right, and I think we'll see some of these uh, surf come to the surface next year. Okay, Tommy. 
Well, I'm most interested to see where Eric Alma, Eric Almarola ends up um, and who's his sponsor going to be called Smithfield ended their agreement and that was, you know, they've been Eric's primary sponsor for the last 10, 15 years. So if he does go part-time in Xfinity or truck, is it going to be Smithfield or is it going to be another sponsor? And, you know, I personally think if Eric Almarola wants to run a part-time schedule, that the truck series would be perfect. I mean, they run a, a lot fewer races than the Cup and Xfinity do, so that would be perfect. And, you know, it kind of gives me, you know, the vibes of, like, um, Mike Skinner and uh, Johnny Benson, who were Cup regulars, and at the end of their career, they went to the Truck Series and absolutely tore it up. Um and, you know, they, they could definitely use a veteran presence, especially the way those guys race. I mean, I feel like the truck series can only run five or ten laps before they're wrecking each other constantly. Um, but Noah Graxton going to the number ten car, I mean, that that's Josh Berry and Noah Graxton over there at Stuart Haas. I mean, all they need now is uh, a couple more junior drivers and junior to come over, and they've got a – you know, they got the whole junior motorsports stable over there. Um, maybe there's a merger. I'm just thinking conspiracy theory just because they've picked up two of their guys. Um, but, I mean, I can't believe Noah's back. I mean, it, it's kind of like the Kyle Larson situation, you know. It was a insensitive comment, and they're kind of landing back on their feet. I mean, Stuart Haas was not that good this year. But, I mean, that's still a pretty good ride for him to land. Uh, considering everything, uh, you know, I was thinking maybe he'd go back to trucks or Xfinity, you know, prove himself again because he, before he even got suspended, he was having a very bad year with Legacy Motorsports, which, I mean, Legacy's not been that good this year. But, yeah, him and uh, Kyle Larson did all right. Uh, They, you know, made a mistake, and they landed back on their feet and got pretty good rides out of it. I mean, I think Kyle Larson's already won a championship. I don't think Noah will do that, but I mean, you know, that 10 car has won at uh, Talladega in New Hampshire, so maybe Noah can get in it next year and um, get a win, but I guess we'll see. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that they're talking about Gregson coming to Stuart Haas Racing. Again, it's not official, so we're all speculating here uh, based on what we've seen in the rumor mill. Um, but it, it certainly wouldn't surprise me. I, I do hear what you guys are saying about Stuart Haas not taking Larson, uh, but they did take um, uh, Gregson if, if that turns out to be the case. Um, and and the situations being somewhat similar, uh, but I do think um, you think about Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart was kind of along the same lines as a driver like uh, Noah Gregson, with with uh, being himself, if you will, and kind of uh, <laughs> speaking his mind. Well, Noah Gregson does that too. Um, the other thing is that. Um, what what kind of surprised me is that they were bringing somebody into the number 10 uh, because a lot of us thought maybe they'd bring Cole Custer back up into uh, Stuart Haas Racing next season for the Cup Series. Uh, and I think that pretty much says that 
Custer's going to stay in the Xfinity Series another year, which I think is a really good thing as well because I, I do think that those cars are going to contend for the championship next season. Uh, Riley Earps has been doing a lot better. Cole Custer's had some good runs. Uh, Eric Amarola had a second-place finish this week. Uh, Chase Briscoe finished in fourth place. Uh, so I am seeing some signs. I know Harvick finished 16th and Priest finished 20th, but I'm seeing some signs that these guys are turning the corner. Um, and I hope that that continues right into the next season uh, and that Stuart House Racing does turn that corner. Poor Andy, I felt so bad for him. He's starting to give up on his Stuart House team. Um, but I say don't give up yet because I do think these guys are starting to turn the corner and they're going to see some good good things from them in the next season, uh, not just in the Cup Series but in the Xfinity Series as well. Uh, and I know that might be unpopular for some of you guys, but um, they they are showing some good signs here lately. So we'll see what happens. It's hard to really comment on it until we know that it's actually going to happen that way. Uh, it sounds like it's going to happen that way. Uh, but I'm just glad that Noah Gregson's getting another opportunity to come back into the NASCAR fold. So, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts? I'm glad you brought up Andy because I was actually going to go read through some of his comments. Because if nothing else, I agree with most of what he said where – I don't have a lot of faith in Stuart Haas Racing. Their, their driver lineup appears to be getting weaker. They're obviously losing the superhero of Kevin Harvick, who's basically had that team on his back for the past several years, although notably the four car was by far the worst SHR car yesterday. That was, that was a, bit, a bit of a surprise. You already mentioned Eric Amarovic finishing second, Briscoe finishing fourth. Well, the four car was, I think, fourth out of the four SHR cars, running very, very poorly, multiple laps down through the day. So it was very uncharacteristic of Kevin Harvick in his last Martinsville race. But they're looking at the lineup right now, confirmed drivers, Josh Berry in the four, Chase Briscoe in the 14, and Ryan Priest in the 41, and now rumored to bring in Noah Gregson in the number 10. Gregson is not confirmed, that's just a rumor, but the other three drivers are. And based on the performance that we've seen out of those, uh, those drivers this year, Josh Berry has had a... Uh, to put it nicely, an off year in the Xfinity Series. He has yet to win a race this year. Unless he wins this weekend at Phoenix, he will finish his Xfinity Series career with zero wins in his last year in the Xfinity Series. And, yes, he made the playoffs, but it wasn't a strong performance, and it was a very early exit from Josh Berry in that eight car. And then moving into a very weak Stuart Haas racing, you, you really got to believe that Josh Berry is not going to be a step up from Kevin Harvick in the number four car, at least not immediately. It's in a, at the best case scenario, it's going to take Josh Berry the better part of a season to, to get his bearings and figure out what he's doing in that car. Yes, he got some reps in uh, the number nine car as well as the number 42 car this year, uh, subbing in for Chase Elliott and Noah Gregson, but that's nowhere near enough experience to, to get into a full-time Cup Series car, especially one that's had a pretty off year for a team that's been very weak over the past few years and try and right a ship like that. It's really hard to expect something like out of a guy like Josh Berry. No offense to him. He just doesn't bring that to the table, at least not right now. And then you look at Chase Briscoe in the 14. He's been hot and cold, to put it nicely, uh, through his two years at Stuart Haas. Yes, he got the win at Phoenix last year. But other than that, He's had a couple good strong runs here and there, but they're very, very few and far between. He spends most of his time in the back half of the field, as does Ryan Priest in the number 41. 
Uh, barring something remarkable happening next week, I think Ryan Priest's most remarkable moment this year is going to be part the two horrific crashes he had at Talladega and Daytona. Those are going to be the two highlights from the number 41 car this year, and those really aren't ones you really want to hang your hat on. Um, so not so great there. And then you look at Noah Gregson. I can't pan his entire performance in the number 42 car on Noah Gregson himself. Um, obviously, he ran, the, he ran very poorly in the number 42. There's, there's no getting around that. He did. Uh, I don't think he got a single top 10 in that, uh, that, that number 42, maybe one top 15. Um, however, that's not all on him. Something was wrong at Legacy Motor Club at the beginning of the year because if you look at his teammate, Eric Jones, in the 43, he was not running a whole lot better than the 42. Legacy found something shortly around the same time that Noah Grayson was suspended, and then Eric Jones picked up the pace in the number 43, as well as Carson Hosevar and other substitute drivers in the number 42 all did substantially better there. So Legacy found something in the back half of the season that Noah Grayson didn't get the opportunity to drive himself. With that said, I don't see Noah Gregson being the guy to come into Stuart Haas Racing and turn that ship around either. So you're going to have a four-driver lineup of relatively weak, at best, inexperienced, and at worst, relatively weak drivers who are trying to, to fix a team that even Kevin Harvick could barely keep above water. So losing Kevin Harvick at Stuart Haas Racing, oh, by the way, losing major sponsors like Bush and Smithfield, and there's a rumor they may lose another big sponsor, according to Doorbell for Clear. They didn't say which one, but another major Stuart Haas sponsor may be on the way out the door. I'll let you speculate as to who that may be. There's a lot of things working against Stuart Haas Racing right now. With regard to the conspiracy theory of, well, this is just going to be Junior Motorsports way into the Cup Series, there may be some merit to it. We've talked at length before about how Tony Stewart seems to be distancing himself from NASCAR by virtue of his participation in NHRA, SRX, his dirt racing adventures, things like that. Tony Stewart has been a very distant leader at Stewart Haas Racing, and maybe this is the opportunity for somebody like Dale Earnhardt Jr. or another potential team owner to come buy out Tony Stewart's stake in the team and make it their own. So, Maybe having a, a stable full of junior motorsports alumni might be the first step towards making Stuart Haas Racing into Earnhardt Haas Racing or whatever you want to, to, to rename the team there. That may be a step in the right direction because something needs to change at Stuart Haas Racing, something fundamental, not just drive, certain drivers and race cars. Something fundamental needs to change at Stuart Haas Racing because the trajectory that they've been on over the past several years has been very poor, and as of right now, it doesn't look like they're, they're on any sort of a, a course to long-term improvement over there. Something has got to change, or they're going to continue to slide. And Rick Ware Racing isn't going to need to worry about the number 51 charter being uh, repoed anymore because Stuart Haas Racing will absorb those bottom three positions for the charter standings in the year. Okay, Jay. I, st- I still think that's kind of a low, harsh blow, but um... – We'll start with the the possibility of their driver lineup for next year. Uh, you talk about it of that replacing Kevin Harvick. You can't replace Kevin Harvick. The only way is you bring somebody else that can develop into Kevin Harvick. Uh, you know there aren't exactly a whole lot of top notch drivers out there as free agents. If they wanted to do that, they should have gotten Kyle Larson or not Kyle Larson, Kyle Busch last year. Um, Aside from that, you're not going to go out and get a pre-made Kevin Harvick replacement. Um, so whether it be Josh Berry, he deserves the opportunity, in my opinion. Um, the Cole Custer situation, 
that one was a, was a little surprising to me. And again, I'm a fan of Noah Gregson, so I'm, I'm happy he got the opportunity. But it does make me wonder as far as where Cole Custer falls in line. And I'm thinking, we talked about NASCAR doing this of a two, three-year deal. I think Ryan Priest has said, all right, you got the opportunity two or three years. Can you show better than what Cole Custer did in his two or three years? They still have Cole Custer running in the Xfinity Series, contending for a championship, uh, maybe in the back pocket of, putting that pressure on Reese or uh, Ryan Priest or even Chase Briscoe, Josh Berry, whoever's coming in, be like, you know, you do have to perform because we got somebody we can bring back in. Did get a cup win and is running in the Xfinity and contending for championships. So, uh, like I said, I was a little surprised that's not who got brought up. Um, aside from, and, and this is one where uh, Mike always says, a valid point, call it a pay for driver. I still think there's talent there, but I do believe that with Gregson comes some different sponsorships if they are staying with him and standing behind him. Um, and you mentioned that. That is a big factor for them. Not only did they lose that driver of Kevin Harvick, Bush Beer is uh, leaving. Now you have Smithfield leaving as well. And then Eric Almirola, which is another very solid um championship has been a championship contending at least into the uh, playoff playoff contending driver we'll say um contending for race wins uh when the when the team and the cars are right so yeah that that's tough to replace on the spot within a year but you got to start somewhere and and i go back to think about jack uh jack roush uh you know and they went through a long stretch of it rcr when you have things like that, you've got to start back and rebuild and develop, um, and it's tough. Uh, Sharon, I know you went, you went through it with a, even a, from a driver standpoint of Jeff Burton. Um, you know, it's just a phase you got to got to weather through. As a Cubs fan, you got to weather through it and and wait for the other side. I think they can do it. We've seen that in the last, I think you said two to three weeks. We've definitely seen some improvements. Martinsville, at least half of the the team was up there. So the signs are still there that it can be done. And I'll address the uh, junior motorsport side on the other side, on the second go-round here. We're on the second go-round, Jay. Oh, this is it? All right. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, that The possibility there, I kind of linked that to when the possibility was of them selling off two of the charters, if they weren't going to be able to maintain a four-car team and selling off two of the charters, that is where I thought junior motorsports might come into play. As far as replacing Tony Stewart or becoming a partner in it, I'm not going to rule it out. You guys have made some great links there, and I hadn't really thought about that with Josh Berry and or uh, Noah Gregson being junior motorsports alumni um, filling those seats. Uh, there's a huge issue there. It's called the manufacturer. They're a Ford team. Not that we haven't seen Stuart Haas racing change um, uh, manufacturers before with a bombshell drop, but I think there's a hiccup there. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? I'm check. Yeah, um, I don't really oh, have time much check. Tommy, before you go, I am going to do an announcement here. 
for our first-time listeners, uh, just real quick, I want to make sure that that you know that we are going to um, go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and that means that we will record the rest of our conversation uh, after the 10.30 time frame. Uh, To hear the rest of that, it will be on our podcast, and I'll go out on Twitter and Facebook to let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to the player at com or iTunes. We've been getting a lot of Apple podcast listeners. Um, if you guys just fast forward to the two-hour mark, then you can hear the rest of the conversation uh, that that uh, we had here on our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion. Uh, again, we do the announcements so that no one's caught off guard and so that you know how you can hit, hear the rest of the uh, broadcast. So, Tommy, go ahead. Yeah, I don't really have much to add. I know it's just a rumor that Noah's going there, but... um. Yeah, you know, storehouse racing definitely needs to do something different. Um, and, you know, I know we said that Noah didn't have a good year this year in the 42 car before he got let go. But um, I did want to add that, you know, the host of our did get in that 42 car, did have a few good runs in it. But, you know, maybe that's just luck because I feel like, you know, Everybody says that John Hunter Nemechek had a, a bad year, his rookie year uh, at Front Row Motorsports. I mean, yeah, he did have a lot of wrecks, but when he was running, like when he was not wrecking, he was running good. He, I think he had like a top 10 in his like second race at Darlington that year. So, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, Noah did was really good with Junior Motorsports last year in the Xfinity Series. And like I said, I was thinking that maybe we'd see him resurface in trucks or Xfinity. But, uh, you know, good for him if he does get the second shot uh, here um, with Stuart Haas. And, um, you know, I'm sure that they're already looking looking the next year uh, with Chase and Ryan and uh, Josh Berry and I guess Noah. But there is one thing. The Xfinity series looks good with Riley and Cole. Um but, yeah, I mean, losing Kevin's definitely going to hurt. And uh, I do think that Josh Berry and Noah have the talent. Um, but, yeah, I feel bad for Andy because he, he had a rough year. He's having – he had a rough year uh, in NASCAR for his team, and I'm having a very bad year being a Patriots fan this year. So. so we'll have to wait and see what happens next year, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add here either. I do uh, like the point that Gregson's probably bringing uh, sponsorship with him. Uh, They do have some other holes that they still need to fill, even with that sponsorship uh, that Noah Gregson brings to the table. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I think uh, Mike makes some good points on, on some of it. But I do see some signs. Um, I still think that there are some indications uh, that Chase Briscoe is finally finding his stride. I think he's going to end up being the leader of that group. Um, and uh, uh, I, I do. I hope that they all get along with each other uh, if, if it ends up being Noah Gregson. 
with uh, Chase Briscoe, Ryan Priest, and Josh Berry. Uh, it's going to be an interesting group dynamic that is going to be there, and uh, we'll see how that plays out if it ends up being the case. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just see how things play out. Mike? Yeah, like you said, it, this is all still unannounced. This is rumor, albeit strong rumors from what I would consider to be relatively credible sources uh, that are pointing the gripes into the number 10. But, yeah, nothing has been announced at Stuart Haas. We don't know who is going to be plugged into that number 10. It could still very well be Cole Custer. Uh, don't forget, Cole Custer is the son of Joe Custer, who is the president of SHR. Mm-hmm. So you've got to believe that there's going to be opportunity given to Cole Custer Whenever the whenever it presents itself, it's, it's to, to their credit, SHR doesn't seem to be as, as down the the nepotism rabbit hole as Richard Childress Racing is. Uh, evidence, of course, by Cole Custer getting moved down to the Xfinity Series because of the relatively poor performance in the number 41. Um, but at the same time, you've got to believe that they're looking for opportunities to give Cole Custer to potentially move him up to the NASCAR Cup Series. So. As credible as the rumors about Gregson to the 10 are, I would not be surprised one bit at all to see it announced that it's going to be Cole Custer going into the number 10 next year. We probably aren't going to find out before the end of the season, so there's a good chance we won't know before we finish the radio show for the season. But it's probably going to be something that we're going to talk about starting in February when we pick the show back up again, because we're most likely going to know by then. And it's going to be a real interesting ride to go on, that's for sure. Ah, the silly season moves. It's always fun. Okay, Jay, it's your turn to uh, bring up our next hot topic. Uh, What's that going to be? Well, I think it was uh, two weeks ago, Mike got to go on a really big rant. So tonight I'm going to get to go on one. As NASCAR says, it will not repossess the RWR charter, even though they have the option. (laughs) If a team... Charter does not finish or finishes in the bottom three for three consecutive years. NASCAR has the option to um, take that charter away from force them to sell it to NASCAR. Again, I don't know that they ever set a price, but to take it and redistribute it. And they have chosen to not utilize that option. Okay. Uh, Tommy, you get to go first on this one. Could you repeat that hot topic again? I think I missed it. He's talking uh, about NASCAR. Uh, NASCAR not repossessing the uh, Richard Ware, Rick Ware racing charter uh, for being in the bottom three. They've opted not to do the repossession. Okay. Yeah, uh, my, my service kind of cut out, but uh, okay, I got you guys. We want to talk about the Rick Ware Racing Charter. Um, so, you know, my thoughts on that is I personally want to see the best equipment and the best cars out there. I know that they feel like since Haley's going to be full-time for them next year, NASCAR feels like they're going to take strides to be competitive instead of just – running laps on the track, but I would like to see their charter and B.J. McLeod's charter uh, go to, you know, like 23XI or um, or RFK or uh, there's another team out there or like, you know, Front Row Motorsports. You know, that, that to me would be ideal to have the most competitive cars out there every week 
And I know that like 23XI and uh, RFK, I believe, were looking to expand, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, I can remember a time when Hendrick used to run five cars when he used to have, uh, you know, it was back in the day when he had Gordon, Labonte, uh, Joe Nemechek, Jimmy Johnson, and then like, uh, or when they got Brian Vickers, like, you know, there'd be five cars out there for Roush, Hendrick, and uh, uh, Joe Gibbs and some of those other guys, but they'd be running a ton, ton of cars out there. Um, so I, I'd like to see, you know, the, the most competitive cars on the track every weekend. Or in another example, too, like Junior's been thinking of, getting back into the cup level for the last couple of years. I mean, you know, that, that charter could go to him or, you know, it could go to somebody that's looking to get involved in the cup series and not just, you know, yeah, I, I don't, you know, they, they run in the back every week. I mean, not, you know, not always. Like, I mean, I think Ryan Newman had a 28th or 29th finish this, this weekend, which is, you know, pretty decent for Rick Ware. And, you know, when they go to Talladega and Daytona, they don't, you know, they, they run, they finish usually in the top 20. But that's also because a lot of cars wreck out. But, I mean, generally they just run in the back and they're turning laps. And, I like I said, I want to see the most competitive cars on the track. So if 23XI or, you know, 23XI could have benefited from them from NASCAR taking their charter or 23XI could have bought it, or Junior Motorsports could have bought it, or whoever could have had it, and then we could have seen a new paint scheme and a new car next year, or a car expand to a three-car team and get a new driver, you know, something interesting and shake up. But, I mean, you know, if Rick Ware is partnering with RFK for Justin Haley and they're going to keep that other car, maybe it'll be just as competitive as they say as they're going to make it for Justin Haley. But, you know, we'll see. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? I'm going to probably steal some of Jay's rant here, but I'm going to do it shamelessly so it doesn't really bother me any. I hope I hurt Jay's feelings just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, this is BS. <laughs> it really is. Because NASCAR, they put this bottom three thing in there as supposedly a fire under these guys to make sure that they're putting the time and effort into performance. And we talk about it a lot with drivers getting eliminated in the playoffs. Uh, well, you know, I had this one bad race. No, dude, you did not have one bad race. You had an entire bad season, or in the, at least in the case of the playoffs, you had three bad races. In this instance, Rickler Racing had three seasons to finish outside of the bottom three at least once, and they didn't. And so for NASCAR to say, oh, well, you know, they made a couple improvements here and there, so we're going to give them another shot at it. No, 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 no. You have just completely undermined your credibility that you put into the system when you said you must finish outside of the bottom three in order to retain your charter. They completely undercut that. They cited Rick Ware, all they invested in facilities, they hired Justin Haley, and they did a couple other improvements, so we expect them to do better next year. Where was that the previous three years? They had the opportunity in the previous three years, and they didn't do it, and they did not clear that bottom three threshold, so therefore they should lose the charter. They Tommy said there are several teams, 2311, Junior Motorsports, House among others, who would love to have an additional charter that they can use and would almost certainly provide a better, more competitive car on the racetrack than Rick Ware Racing is currently capable of doing and are likely to be able to do in the future. Rick Ware Racing has been a bottom feeder in the NASCAR Cup Series ever since they started. 
Not only that, in the Cup Series, they're a bottom feeder in IndyCar, they're a bottom feeder in sports cars, they're a bottom feeder in every single series that they're in because Rick Ware Racing is there to make money on racing, and they don't necessarily care about winning to do it. They do it via pay drivers, they do it via revenue sharing, they do it via sponsorship. And from a business standpoint, there's nothing wrong with it. But if NASCAR wants this charter system to be some sort of a competitive drive thing where they, they are incentivizing performance, Rick Ware Racing simply has not performed to the level that NASCAR expected, and therefore they do not deserve to retain that charter. I won't undercut Jay anymore, so I'll defer it over to him for the next part of this rant. All right. Uh, I see a couple of soapboxes getting pretty hot. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree, though. I think that um, I know the intent apparently is there. They say that it's because uh, Rick Rare Racing has the RFK allowance, the use of Roush-shaped engines, and signing Haley shows a commitment to performance. But I agree with you, Mike. How come they didn't do that earlier uh, and get that performance earlier. Uh, the fact that, uh, and I didn't know this until you mentioned it, but uh, in other motorsports that they're involved in, they're back feeders, and they're not uh, winning out there to win races. So I think NASCAR, uh, the question I think, guess I have with this is, do you have to wait another three years to make a decision about Rick Rowe Racing now, or can they make the decision next year to repossess that charter and give it to a team that that could really make some good use of it, like trackhouse racing, uh, to the point that Mike was making. Um, I, I I understand they're trying to give them a chance. They they made some moves this year, but <clears throat> we'll see how it plays out. I hope that we don't have to wait another three years uh, for NASCAR to make a decision about whether or not they should repossess. Um, I think they need to definitely show uh, that they have competitive race cars on the track this year. And uh, and uh, is able to contend uh, for winning because otherwise we're just wasting our time uh, waiting another three years if we have to do that for them to make a decision about that charter. Uh, Jay, go ahead and get on your soapbox. I'll let you go. Well, and this is one where I'm going to agree with Mike, and you brought up some great points as far as not only that other series, um, but the the three-year gap that they've had. I want to start with, though, you you guys know me here on the show, and anybody that's talked to me, I believe in the opportunity, whether it be Spire Motorsports, and we've seen the moves they've made. Uh, Rick Rear Racing is another one, and I get that they've now made the alliance with uh, Roush Fenway Racing, having one full-time driver, be it, albeit Justin Haley, um, that they are showing that signs, but it's been three years. So where has that been then? Um, you know, in the case of Spire Motorsports, obviously they came into some type of partnership or found a pot of gold and found some money to spend, and they went out and did it. But it's still got to be backed up on the track. I think Corey LaJoy and that team has done that. And in addition to that, we've seen with the addition of Carson Host of our Zane Smith, some real true commitment. I don't know that we've seen that. I appreciate the fact that NASCAR is saying, hey, we're seeing them trying. We're going to give them a little more time, be a little, give a little leeway. However, it's been three years. Um, 
and and that's sad that I that I have to say that because like I said, I've always uh, want that opportunity for a team and and to be given that chance, but they've had the chance, so I, I'm a little frustrated there. My frustration really comes in with NASCAR or any sanctioning body track that I've worked with. If you're going to have a rule in place, enforce it. It doesn't do any good to say, hey, you don't come out and do hot laps. We're going to put you at the back of the field. You don't come out and do this. We're not going to let you do this. If you don't enforce said rule, it's never going to change. So that's where my big problem comes in. You can say, you know, this till you're blue in the face. If you're not enforcing it, it doesn't matter. And this is one where this portion of this charter system has been exposed and manipulated since it began. I am not 100% in favor of the charter system. I'll come back to that. But they put it in place and they said, and to prevent this, we're going to make this rule. We've seen it, people leasing the charter to a top-tier team for a year. I believe it was the Wood Brothers, the first year they came back to full-time racing. Got a charter for at least a charter from somebody for a year. That put it up in the top points. That team got it back. They lease out a different one. That one goes into a top in points. Takes them out of that bucket of the three years in the bottom three. That was complete, absolute manipulation and work around of the intent of the rule. And it just kept being allowed. And that's where my frustration comes in. I got to take a breath and I'll come back on the other side. Okay. Tommy, your follow-up. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to this one other than, um, you know, I kind of wish NASCAR would have went through with the rule and then, 23XI or Trackhouse or Junior Motorsports or somebody could have, or RFK could have gotten their hands on this charter and, you know, added another competitive car to the field. But, you know, maybe maybe there is hope. Maybe Rick Ware does get some competitive equipment next year and we see Justin Haley and whoever the next driver is going to be have some competitive races. But uh, I guess we'll see. Time always tells the rest of the story, Mike. What are, what are your follow-up thoughts? Well, Jay brings up the point about consistency, right? We talked about it a lot when we talked about the rules. If NASCAR is not going to enforce that we're going to repossess the charter rule, well, what does it take in order to not keep your charter repossessed? They never laid out any kind of criteria for that. At least in my understanding, there were no caveats when this whole system was announced. There are no caveats of, well, we might repossess the charter, but if you show that you're trying – then we're going to not repossess it. And there certainly were no benchmarks made of, well, you need to buy a new facility, you need to hire a driver, you need to do this, this, and that. There were no criteria laid out, and there's still no criteria laid out. It's about the most subjective, opinion-based thing that you could possibly have here, which is just toxic when it comes to trying to have a consistent, uh, enforceable rule book. You, you completely knock the wheels out from underneath it. There's really nothing that NASCAR can stand on and say, well, these are the criteria you must meet in order to not get your charter repossessed. If they had at least done that prior to this, there would be, there would be something that they could stand on to say, yeah, we're not repossessing the charter because they met this, this, and that criteria that we set forth in advance in order for them to retain the charter beyond those three years. There were no criteria that were set forth. They just kind of got subjectively made up here because NASCAR wanted to avoid the ugly situation of repossessing a charter from a team and potentially giving another team an opportunity to purchase it 
Well, they haven't even said how they would redistribute it. They have a whole other fight, whether it go for auction or what. But they avoided that by punting and making this arbitrary thing of, well, you, you've made a, an effort to try and improve in the future, so we're going to look beyond your three years of poor performance for this situation right here based on this specific circumstance. In our opinion, we think you're trying to make an effort. And that's just not for that matter. Because when we're in this situation again, and another team has, uh, has been in the bottom three for the three years consecutive, well, they're going to point at this situation here and say, well, we did this, this, and this, and we're trying to improve, so we shouldn't lose our charter either. And since there's no firm criteria, NASCAR doesn't have a leg to stand on to say, well, Rick Ware did this, but you only did that. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing to compare because all these teams operate differently. So without some hard criteria that are set in advance, there's really no way to fairly enforce this rule. And that's really the big problem here. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, they needed to put a stipulation on here. And, again, does anybody know if they only get one year or do they get another three years? Here's here's the problem is is the rule says NASCAR has the option, and they left themselves that hole. It's not a hard rule. It's they have the option to. So that's, that's Mike's point. We don't know what would cause them to exercise said option. There is no criteria to that. So I don't know if it is a one-year or another three-year if it starts over completely. Well, I I would say it needs to be a one-year. They cannot finish uh, anywhere in the 30s. They have to finish in the top 20 the following year or something because uh, they finished 35th, 34th, and 34th in the three years, and that's not good. Um but there needs to be a caveat uh, associated with this that they need to seize the improved performance on the track uh, this next season. And if they don't see it this season, then NASCAR is going to come in and repossess the team. Um, and, and again, you're right. I don't know if it's an auction then to the teams that want to buy it or how they go about that, but I think an auction is a good idea. Um, for them to just put it on the auction block and say, okay, whoever wants to bid on it, uh, you can bid on it to whatever point you want to withdraw. Um, but, yeah, this is, this doesn't seem right to me that they wouldn't repossess that team uh, after three consecutive years of finishing 35th or 34th or lower. So, and then to to not have any kind of uh, stipulation of what the performance uh, mark is for them uh, for the year that they're being given, uh, not getting that repossession, I certainly don't think they should be given another three years. Uh, and we see them finish 35th, 34th, and 34th again. I think that NASCAR needs to set a stipulation here, and it's a one-year stipulation. Uh, that might sound a little bit harsh, but when you think about it, they, they would have been then given four years to get up to performance, and I think that's more than fair. Uh, Jay? Well, they say that if you're going to complain about something or point out a problem, bring a solution. I can bring a solution. When you talk about, and this goes to the all-star race specifically, but also the the winner's circle program, You win a race, you are on that for one year. You get bonus money for that for the one year 
um, from when you got your last win. Do something with that. Understand the intent of the charter to give these teams that value and something tangible to sell when and if they so choose to get out. Uh, reward them a little bit for being one that is there week in and week out. But you can do it by not guaranteeing that starting spot. I've never been a fan of the charter system from that aspect, that it was a guarantee. Even when they had the top 35 in points rule, once that was set, the first five races of the year, it went up based on last year's points. Then it reset to the current year. Teams had the opportunity to race their way in and work their way into earning that guaranteed spot until they fell back out of the top 35. That was reasonable. And we had 43 um, starting positions, and we saw 44, 45 teams coming to show up to make that. Right now, there is some weeks where we aren't even getting the full field of, of 40 because you can't invest on trying to be one of those four. You're not racing to get into that field. You're racing for one of four spots. And I look at touring series, and I'm going to go to dirt track here, Lucas Oil or World of Outlaws. Um, yes, you have to show up at every race, Okay if you do not make the, the, that particular race, the best competitive teams, week in and week out, there's 24 normally, 24 to 28 starting spots. You see 30 plus to 40, 50, 60 at the bigger payout races, late models showing up to work their way in. The points, you lose some points uh, if you don't make the race, but you're still in contention. You show up the next week, you get in, you race into the top five, win the race. I think back to it with the rule the way it was, you had to uh, attempt every race. Kyle Busch missed 15 races. Chase Elliott this past year was still eligible for the playoffs. That makes it that more, much more interesting. I can't tell you how many fans I think Kyle Busch gained by missing 15 races, still coming back, winning races, which qualified him, getting into the top 30, which qualified him, and winning that championship. These, these teams have no motivation to show up because they're fighting for one of four spots, not being a fastest car to race their way into that field. And I know I'm getting excited. I'm going to try and calm down, but that is the problem with this. They said the new car, the next-gen car, was going to be the, the factor of encouraging more team owners. No, not locking them out is the discouraging factor that, in my opinion, is so much bigger than that. Um, so that's where I think that, and like I said, I'm all in favor. If you're on the charter system, you don't qualify. You maybe get paid more than somebody that did qualify because you're on that program and showing up every week and being competitive week in and week out. You just missed it this week. But that takes care of itself then. Give, give teams the opportunity to race their way in and earn their spot. I'll settle down now. But I do, okay. I, do, I do have one more rant. I do have one more rant I'm going to go on when we come around to close the show, just to warn you all. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, do we have a quick one we can hit on here before we close out, or should we close out now? Anybody? Uh, yeah, I, was trying, I can't say any of them would be quick ones that we have still listed. Okay, then we'll hold over until next uh, the Thursday when we do our uh, our roundtable. Then, unless somebody comes up with something, 
so, Tommy, let's go ahead and start our roundtable here and uh, sign off for the night. All righty. Well, thank you all for having me back. Enjoyed it tonight. It's at since 95 fan on Twitter. Okay. Mike? Could be Mike underscore zone. I put my cup underscore O on Reddit. I don't really have a rant to close out, but I am interested to hear what Jay has to say. It's good talking to you all. I'm on call for work on Thursday, so I may or may not be available. But I am off on Monday, so if I miss Thursday, I should be available to talk to you all to close out the season. Okay. I am Dracula. Okay, that sets you up, Jay. Well, Mike might might have to retract his statement there about being interested in this. It pertains to our fantasy group. Uh, being that, I don't want to change rules in the middle of the season. This will have to be looked at for next year. But... I've got a rant. I've got a rant. Yeah. No, no, no. You passed. You passed. <laughs> Giving 100%. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That I, thought, I think we ought to make that a rule for next year. Giving 100% because it's not just about you and your pick. Uh, there were a couple of situations this week where we had it where in order for somebody to even be in contention next week, they couldn't have the last and final position and get zero points, whereas somebody chose to sandbag and make sure they were getting the zero points and first pick going into next weekend, even though they don't have a shot at the championship anyway. So... That will be discussed in the offseason. We may have some possible changes to our made-up fantasy group, and rules are made up as we go anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And the other part of your sign-off? He's in the pod, so he totally won that race. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. He had a chance. He was given the opportunity. NASCAR felt he was trying. Uh, Yes, please. I I think he's going to dead last. (laughs) You can follow me though. Uh, He was. He was. Well, actually, in the Xfinity series, I got uh, last, so Mike's plan there didn't even work. He he still has to pick behind me. (laughs) But you can follow me me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on X, and almost said X and Twitter. X is Twitter or Twitter is X, whichever way, as well as Instagram. And you can see some of the comments that I may make about uh, certain other fantasy pickers in this league. Hey, man, All I right. had Kyle I'm... Larson at Homestead. He finished last there, too. So, you know, I can't even, I can't even <laughs> not stand that when I'm not trying. Well, you were definitely that trying happened. this time. <laughs> Uh, with uh, B.J. McLeod and Ryan Ellis. Okay, moving on. Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, uh, Facebook as well as our website. And uh, definitely enjoyed the weekend of racing at Martinsville. Looking forward to the next week of racing. And Jay and I are going to do the preview show on Thursday morning. We'll put it out Thursday afternoon as a podcast, and uh, uh, I can't wait uh, to see who the champion is going to be. I'm super excited about the championship four uh, in the Cup Series. Uh, I think we've got a good group of championship four all the way around, actually, uh, in Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup Series, 
and uh, I can't wait to see how it all plays out at, at uh, Phoenix this weekend. Uh, Jay, Jay and I will do the preview show Thursday. Um, a big shout out to our fan for racing crew here today, and Jay, thank you for standing in for Jay for uh, Sal tonight, and um, uh, having Mike and and Tommy here for hot topics. Hot topics. I'm starting to get tired. Can you tell? Uh, always makes it a lot more fun, and uh, we always enjoy having you guys on the show. But we'll look forward to doing it again uh, this Thursday. And then that will be our last preview show, Jay. And then our last review show will be next Monday night. So uh, the season has definitely wound down. It's been a fun season, and I appreciate all of our Fan for Racing crew members and all that you contribute throughout the year. Thank you. Uh, With that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. Everybody, a big shout-out to our listeners as well. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. See you on, on Wednesday. <laughs>